Welcome to the show. <laughs> I can't believe how long it's been since I've had you on the show. It's been a bit. Yeah. You've, <laughs> you're, you're, the, I, I mean this sincerely. And I don't mean, I'm not just saying this because you're on the show. You, you're one of the nicest and most empathetic um, people I've ever met. You're, you're truly, you're just a good person. And you, the way you wow. brought, the way you brought this up to me <laughs> was excruciating. <laughs> yeah, it was hard for me too. <laughs> because, so we're working together on my show, my WWDC show. And then you mentioned this and I was, you know, something to the, I, I can't even do it. I can't even be as exquisitely nice and sensitive <laughs> as you. I can't even paraphrase it. But you mentioned it, and I thought, well, that's, you know, it probably is true in the back of my head. I'll bet it's been at least a year since I've had Adam on. And then I looked at my podcast feed and then, like, searched for your name, and it was, like, 13 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, you know, you start to wonder. Like, I start to wonder, wow, uh, did I, did you get some, did you get some complaints <laughs> about me as a guest? I mean, that was my, that was the way I phrased right. the question, I think, right. was like, Hey, because I love being on your show. I love doing this type of format way, way more than one in which I'm, I have to improvise and be funny because I'm not great at that. But I like I don't mind talking about things that I'm thinking about. So I like doing I like being a guest and have been a guest a number of times. And then and then it has it's been a while. So I started thinking, oh, God, did because um, you have a a vocal, you know, fan base listenership. And I wondered if they if they just like wrote you one too many emails that said do not do not have that guy back on your show again <laughs> well and then the worst part is because i'm nowhere near as good a person as you or as empathetic oh, come but on. i do but i remember things and i have a terrible uh uh catholic guilt even though i'm not the least bit religious it's like I, I, that's the one thing i picked up and i remember from years ago literally no joke years ago there was a time when you were on the show and I just purely absentmindedly forgot to do the thing where I post a link to the show on the Daring Fireball blog. So, like, mm -hmm. the show went into the talk show feed, and it's on the talk show section of the site, and anybody who subscribed goes in their podcast player. But I just never did the thing, which I do for every new show, which is then I post a link list item to the show, and I repeat the description and thank the sponsors, too, you know, give them some extra love. Uh, and I just, you know, idiot that I am, completely forgot to do it. And <laughs> and you thought maybe it was because I thought the show sucked. Oh man, do you remember that? That's embarrassing. That's embarrassing. Well, no, but I just that, need to. But you didn't say it that way, of course, because you're a good uh -huh. person. But I could read between the lines and thought, oh God, Adam's worried that I thought the show was terrible and I had to post it anyway. When in fact, it was just me being an idiot and having this terrible system. Me, me being self-aware that I'm absent-minded and then having a production system for posting the show that depends upon me remembering <laughs> to do X, Y, and Z. You know what? We're both great. We're both flawed and great. And, and, and this is going to be a fun show. There was, one, <laughs> there was one episode that, that I was a guest on where I remember – I did zero prep for it. I didn't read up on the latest stuff. I, I, I'd, I'd been sort of out of the Apple loop um, for a bit. And then we just and then I just kind of bullshit for like, you know, an hour and a half. I think we talked about the latest Apple TV or something. And it was just 
didn't feel great about it. So I, I vowed like I should actually do some, you know, I should do some research this time, potentially install the beta OS and break my laptop uh, just so I have something to talk about. <laughs> Uh, well, hey, speaking of sponsors and speaking of, uh, you, Adam, I, I got a, uh, extra sponsor this week. Uh, and I'm really happy to tell you about them, but it's Atoms, A-T-O-M-S. They're, uh, that's a good shoe. The, yeah. They make great shoes, uh, which is very funny because ever since they started sponsoring the show last year, remember when we used to meet face to face, uh, at <laughs> WWDC last year. This is 2019. I saw a bunch of people at WWDC who had Adam's shoes on, and I was like, "Wow, they're really popular." And then, like, I worked up the gumption to ask somebody, and they're like, "Yeah, I got them from. I heard about them from your website." And I was like, "Oh, I'm at <laughs> WWDC." <laughs> and somehow, I I kind of know that sponsorships work, but I don't often see the results of it. You know, like somebody can advertise an app on Daring Fireball. I don't know who's who's running the app, but. People had the shoes. They're great shoes. I wear them almost every day. I love them. Me too. But the other thing they're making now, and I want to tell you about, is the Adams Everyday Face Mask. Look, mm -hmm. Adams stands for quality. Their mask is made with the same premium materials as their shoes, combining innovation and comfort with the antimicrobial properties of copper, making it one of the most effective masks on the market. It's available in a variety of colors. It's breathable, washable, reusable, and... Every time you buy a mask, they donate a mask to a charity with each purchase. Um, they've also got the sneaker. You can check them out. Great. The genius of their thing is that they, they sell the sneakers in quarter sizes, which sounds really finicky. But I'm telling you, I've known this since I was a kid. Always felt very self-conscious about it. My left foot has always been a half size larger than my right foot. <laughs> I don't know why I feel so Weird. conscious about it, but it's kind of awesome to be able to buy shoes where you you can do this. And, and then you don't know what your quarter size is. You can just buy like, you know, order like it's like Warby Parker a little bit where you can order, you know, two sizes, try them on at home and then send the ones back that you don't need the sizes you don't want. Anyway, I love their masks. The masks also come in different sizes. I have a big fat head. I need the size large. Most people would take a medium Anytime I'm out and about in Philadelphia, I'm almost certainly wearing my Adams mask. I really do like it. Go to adamsatoms.com slash DFM, Daring Fireball Mask, DFM, adams.com slash DFM. Check them out. Is is it the ear loop style of mask? It is an ear loop style of mask. It's like okay. a sort of and, two, two pieces of um, – it's not, co it's not uh, cotton. It's a, sort of a foamy type thing. Sort of like yeah. the insert to a shoe um, and then stitched together in the middle so you get a little bit of a conical effect in front of your mouth, which to me is key for me personally with a mask, key, get it a little bit away from my mouth, ear loop style around the, around the, uh, around the ears. Well, that makes sense because their shoes have those stretchy laces so that you, you, would, yep. you would expect them to innovate in the, in the loop um, manufacturer. I... Um, I think that's the thing that makes a mask most comfortable for me is, um, the, the you know, when there was a shortage of masks and nobody really knew how to get, go out and get a mask and you just kind of like grabbed what was available. Yeah. It was like my, the first ones that I tried on on my big fat head as well would pull my ears forward and they were uncomfortable and it yeah. really sucked. And I thought that this is not sustainable. But then as soon as I found a mask with the right material on the loops, 
it was it was game over. <laughs> These days I've been doing uh like more of a neck gaiter style, the ones yeah. that you know, the tube that you pull over your whole thing. Cause yep. I feel I feel like it's a kind of a cool look, you know? Yeah. Um well it's you know, as we as we go on and, and without even delving into the, the political aspects of it, if we're just gonna all wear masks, our faces are um, you know, they vary in size. And if we all wear different shoes because we like different styles and we have different feet that feel comfortable in different shoes. It's no surprise that we need different masks. And so I've found it to be fascinating here in the Gruber household what the various members find more comfortable. Um, <laughs> I do. I, you know, and, you know, you can't, in some ways, you can't beat those paper ones, you know, that just the like, but they're hard to get. They're, they're still hard to get and they're not, oh, they? you know, N95 medical. You know, they're just, you yeah. know, the ones yeah, that look the, like the light blue surgical ones right. that come in a box of 12. Yeah. They're, they're yeah. pretty good for the heat. Amy likes those now that it's, you know, literally like heat index is like 100 degrees or 98 degrees today. Uh, pretty hot. Yeah. Anyway, masks. I like those. I like those uh, bandana type things. That's what you're talking about. Like you put the tube over your head. Yeah, you pull it down. There's fun colors. Um, I don't know. I, I got one with a galaxy kind of a pattern on it, sort of like the early, um, you know, Mac OS wallpaper. You know, the, you remember the, the like sort of like the oh galaxies. yeah yeah yeah. I got one with that sort of thing. I wasn't it wasn't like an homage to the Mac desktop or anything, but I just kind of liked it. It was on Amazon for like eleven dollars. And I uh, put it on, and uh, Roxanne, my partner, said, oh, ooh, <laughs> no, 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 no. But I wore it anyway, whatever. <laughs> the important thing is that I feel good, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and I about? do think it's interesting. I think it's kind of interesting when you go out. Like, I, I just saw a survey um, that Philadelphia, I don't know who knows these, these surveys. I always, you know, I don't know how they conduct them. I don't think it's, you know, the rigorous people at Gallup, but there was some kind of survey of um, what percentage of people in each city around the country are wearing masks. And Philadelphia was like at the top or near the top. Um, But it's like the old analogy about Pennsylvania, um, which I'll never forget. And which is very true which is that Pennsylvania is sort of a microcosm of the United States where you got Philadelphia on the one coast, Pittsburgh on the other, and Alabama in the middle. Um, <laughs> but like the Pennsylvania state capital, Harrisburg, which is, you know, again, picked to be the capital, I guess, because it's in the middle. It has like one of the lowest rates of mask wearing in the country. But anyway, <sighs> you go out for a walk in Philadelphia, you you really do. It's really rare not to see some see somebody not wearing a mask now. And if they're not, they're, you know, usually it's like around their chin or something like that. And they're just taking it off in the heat. And then when, as people come by, they lift it up. Uh, It's interesting to me because it's the same thing as like, I look at people's phones when I'm in airports. Remember airports? (laughs) (laughs) I like to see what people pick for their mask. And it is sort of like phone cases, you know, people it's, it, you, you, you could go all day and you might not see the same mask twice. That's right. It's a style choice that nobody expected that we would be making. It's a combination Um, style choice and comfort choice, right? And you can kind of, if you're a nerd like me and you just preoccupy yourself thinking about stuff like that and then almost get hit by a bus crossing the street because you're looking at people's masks, um, I like to play the game. Like, did did that fellow pick that mask because he thinks it's comfortable or did he he pick it because of the way it looks or a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B? 
Um, yeah, yeah, I think it's yeah, you're right. It's a little bit of both. It's a mix, but I but I always you know you we we universally appreciate it seeing uh, seeing it on each other because some, sometimes you know we have our preconceptions about people and you know just from whatever from their their other style choices or you know whatever it's we we sort of form these biases but so it when you see somebody that you would maybe you you would think oh that person f- looks a little bit more like somebody in the in the places where they wouldn't wear masks and mm-hmm. and they are wearing a mask and you're like yeah yes yeah. one love we are all we are all the same and and that i i just appreciate it i think it's great so it's like a good signifier that we're you know we're in this together yeah, I and it was more of a thing weeks ago, months ago, who knows in this time. <laughs> but like when it was a sort of a, a non-majority of people out, although at that time it was also more, you know, here in Philadelphia it was a lot more like hey, you should really only be going out for like emergency rations. Uh rations, mm-hmm. rations. I how do you say? Sure, it? rations, yeah. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. I guess. Um but you would, you'd see people with a mask and you just give them the nod, you know, it's like, yeah, team mask. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. I, I remember, I don't know if you, if you recall the first person out there in the world that you saw wearing a mask, but it was striking. Um, yeah. Because you know, I've, I've been to Japan, I've been to places where it's, it's just normal practice. If you're, if you have a cold or something, you wear a mask to protect other people from your germs. But um, really, I'd never seen somebody out on the street. And I was in the neighborhood where my office is in downtown, and I saw somebody, a very stylish young person. Um, I was driving, and I saw them walking, and they had a mask on. And it, it for like that very brief moment, it felt like, oh, this is a glimpse into the future. It, it felt sci-fi in that way. And I, I also, I had a reaction that was like, oh, that's overkill, because at the time we were hearing – you know, you don't need to wear a mask. It's, uh, you know, wash your hands for 20 minutes and then yeah, take care of it. I remember the first people I saw wearing a mask here. I forget exactly where it was, you know, late March or early April. I forget in that time frame, but I was out. I remember exactly where I was uh, around the corner. I don't remember which errand I was running. Probably going to Trader Joe's, but um, I saw two people walking and they were both young, younger than me. Anybody younger than me is now young. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were both young. They were both Asian, and they both had masks on. And I, I just, I guess I've seen it before, you know. And you know, again, it's it, everybody knows it's common in a lot of Asian countries. Um, mm-hmm. I've seen it in Philadelphia before, but this was definitely in the context of COVID-19. And I thought, yeah. do, do they think they have it? Did I just walk by two people who who <laughs> think they have it? Or are they, you know, what is, you know, and I wasn't, you know, like running away from them or anything. It just, but it was very striking to me, right? It just was like, what, what was that? That was very strange. I, I just haven't seen people wearing masks. And like you said, at the time... Here in the U.S., every, the experts were all saying, you know, ah, you don't need a mask. In fact, you shouldn't be buying masks. Let them, you know, just keep them for the healthcare workers. Right, which which seems like it was a it was a, it, it caused a huge huge setback, and even you know probably feeling the residuals in the culture war. Right yeah. now, I wonder if they had just come out at the beginning and said masks are the thing that will you know 
do the most to protect you from this, whether we'd still be seeing all the pushback. Yeah, I think I well, I don't know. You had a tweet a while a couple of weeks ago, a week or two ago where you were talking mm-hmm. about masks and and again, good empathetic person that you are you were observing that look, it when you first see it and you're not used to it, it is weird to see people with their faces covered and we're we're it's not even a cultural thing. It's clearly an evolutionary thing that we've evolved mm-hmm. to see people's faces and read their faces and we are finally attuned, our brains are finally attuned to noticing incredibly small differences in people's faces to detect their emotion and to identify the people we know and especially the people we love. Um, and, and so not seeing people's faces is striking and weird in, in both a sociological way and just an evolutionary way. And it is... From the first person perspective, it is weird to put one on and go out in public. Uh, it's just a very strange physical sensation, and it is very – it makes you self-conscious. Yeah, it makes you self-conscious. That's right. It's it's like putting on a hat that you're not sure is like you're the right fit or the right shape for you, but it makes you – you know, you're sort of testing it out um, as a style choice. But you're worried. You know, you, maybe this – maybe people think I look dumb. And that, that's just kind of like a normal thought, thought process right. that all of us kind of go for, go through. But you sort of weigh that against the the benefits of wearing one, and the safety, and you sort of have to discard all that. And it and it feels like there might be some element in the decision making of whether or not to wear, you know, whether to wear one or not, um, that where people's sort of self imposed shame about their <laughs> this choice or their the look might say more to them than you know the the very simple calculation of whether it's going to be safe safer for them and for other people uh yeah i think that that's very true and it's you know uh, so for me i am not a uh dress up in a costume person yeah i i I don't I, i it's been a very long time since i've like I don't dress up for Halloween. I didn't dress up for Halloween when my son was young. Um, Mm -hmm. But I pass no judgment. When I was younger, I would have. I was a jerk. I'll admit it. (laughs) Uh, But I pass no judgment. And and in the course of becoming older and far more open-minded in many, many ways, but almost entirely reducible in all regards to the concept of, hey, man, whatever floats your boat, right? It's all cool all right. with me. Um, you know, like people who like to go to Comic-Con and, and dress up as uh, superheroes. Um, did you see the thing, by the way, where John Lewis <laughs> went to Comic-Con? I didn't know this until he died no, a couple of days ago. John Lewis no. went to Comic-Con a couple of years ago because he had, he had co-authored uh, or he wrote, wrote a graphic novel, um, wrote the script for a graphic novel depicting, you know, some of his actions in the back in the sixties in the civil rights era. And he went wow. to Comic-Con to promote it and dressed as his self, his younger self from like 1961. Wow. Which <laughs> is like the baddest ass thing I've ever heard in my life. That but anyway, really awesome. not really a costume wear. I feel self-conscious about things like that. So let's just say, for example, somebody's having a, a retirement party or something like that, and it's a surprise party, and you get there and you know, an hour before because you know it's a surprise. 
and the host says, hey, everybody's going to wear this hat. And it's like, you know, like a like a novelty hat. And we want everybody to wear one. Well, I would put it on because I don't want to be, you know, I mean, I'm going to go with the flow. But I would think, like, do I look like, in the back of my head would be the idea of, do I look like a jerk with this hat on? And I would think I probably do because I look around and sort of think that maybe everybody else looks a little bit like a jerk with their hats on. And mm-hmm. it would make me feel self-conscious. And then... I would get, you know, I'd get over it. Uh, uh, no. I think it's, it's, it's certainly the mask thing is certainly exacerbated because again, your face is you, right? This is how we, you know, we identify each other. It is, it is our personality. It's, it's how everybody with vision, you know, can identify people covering up your face is, you know, it, it's a lot different than putting on a novelty hat. And it is sure. a constant reminder. It, this is not a retirement surprise party. This is a pandemic that is making people terribly ill, filling hospital ICUs and killing hundred, you know, hundreds of thousands of people around the world. Yeah, so, you, you got to do it. Yeah. So, um, but it, it's like a weird thing to be reminded of, right? It, so you get all the self-consciousness of a novelty mask with, combined with the stress and anxiety of the it, it just could not be a more prominent reminder that we're in a pandemic yeah yeah i mean it's it it doesn't feel awesome losing all that real estate on your face with you know that you use to express yourself and then interpret other people's expression it's like very sorry for the ham-fisted uh analogy but it's you, your face is ui right right um so it's kind of like, you know, designing something with only two thirds of the available, um, you know, screen real estate, uh, you, you're just conveying far less information. I, I just last week I shot of, um, like one of my commercial video things, uh, and the product was is specifically for, um, restaurants f- to be uh, able to do contactless menus and contactless payments really fluidly um and but but because the the setting and the context of the story is in an open-air restaurant where it's very um important to be wearing you know masks then all all of our talent including myself i was in this one had our masks on for for most of it and uh as a director when you don't have the full face available to you to convey all of the all of the information that you need an, an actor to convey it's really a different thing it's really hard you have to do so much more with the eyes, obviously, um, so much more with the lens, you know, just get in there. Um, and, uh, but it, I mean, unfortunately it's something that we're, we're all getting more accustomed to. We're sort of like learning to draw more information out from that limited real estate. Yeah. It's sort of like the opposite of directing a Batman movie, right? Cause Batman's, <laughs> Batman's cowl leaves open exactly the surface area that we need to cover. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's what the assholes who don't wear masks should be wearing. They should just put an eye, like a face, you know, an upper face mask on. Just like lean all the way into it. I'm bad, man. America freedom. Right. <laughs> um, we could get into that. Um, but why don't, before we do, uh, why don't I move on and uh, keep the business sure. flowing? And thank our next sponsor. It's our good old friends at Squarespace. Hey, you've got time on your hands. We all have time on our hands. You're inside this summer. 
at one of your lists. You know, they always remind me around New Year's. You know, that's when people dig into like long forgotten projects, uh, res- uh, resolutions, we call them. You know, resolutions are things you decide to do in early January and then never do. Uh, maybe dig out that list now that we're home for the summer. Think about something like a website you've been hoping to make, something you've been wanting to build, or maybe an old website you've got that really needs to be upgraded. You want to do it all over again. Why don't you check out Squarespace to do it? They've got everything, everything from registering domains to picking templates for a design to the WYSIWYG visual, just drag it around the screen and what you see while you're designing the site as the owner of the Squarespace website is literally exactly what visitors to your website will see minus the editing controls for dragging this stuff around. It really could not be more WYSIWYG, which is a term that for some reason we don't talk about anymore, but it really is. Everything you can do at Squarespace. And they have a free trial, so you can just dig in. You get like 30 days. Do what you want. It's real. It's all real. Everybody can visit. You can see that you like it, and you don't have to pay a dime. And then when you do... You just uh, remember the code. You go to squarespace.com slash talk show and just remember that same code, talk show, T-A-L-K-S-H-O-W. You get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace.com slash talk show. Remember that code, talk show. You kind of got to remember the code because you can go there, sign up, use it for 30 days, and then only then do you have to pay. Just remember that code. You could save 10%. You've got your month in there. If you already know you like it, why not sign up for a year? Use that code, save 10% off our whole year. There you go. Save money. You get a great, great service. You don't have to worry about stuff like system upgrades, uh, what operating system it's running. Forget it. Squarespace takes care of all that. So go check them out next time you need to build a website. Squarespace.com slash talk show. Hey, speaking of websites, how about the Twitter? Twitter got hacked. <laughs> yeah, that was silly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It was. I do you. You didn't got. You didn't get locked out, did you? It didn't affect you in any way. No. Well, I was unable to tweet during the. Oh right. I, yeah. They, they. Yeah. That's yeah. right. For verified. Yeah. Um. They. They. They locked you out of tweeting, but that that lasted what a few hours. Yeah, something like that. But I did not get locked out. You got locked out, right? I did because I was one of the dum dums who like <laughs> changed my password right after. It was I I, t- I took the extra security precaution of changing my password on both of my accounts, both my my personal and my my business account. And uh, you know, surprise, surprise, they, they I the next two days I was locked out. I think Todd Vaziri experienced the same. I don't even know if he's back in business. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was out of business for a couple of days. Todd Vaziri. He'll listen to this. He'll hear this and get a get a kick out of that. But he won't yeah. be able to tweet about it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Todd. Yeah, so I, not a bad idea, right? Like you think like, holy hell, Twitter is the whole thing is, you know, uh, you know, there's there's an unknown number of hackers running around doing crazy stuff with Twitter accounts. Why don't I go in and change my password? You know, it just seems like the least you can do, right? Just do something, right? Like if I was yeah. a locksmith, and something crazy like this was going on, maybe I would change the locks on my door, right? I mean, you can do it. If you could change your locks on your door as easy as you can change your password on Twitter, I would do it, right? But it turns out then that after this was over, they were like, "Any, we don't even know what the hell happened Twitter-wide. <laughs> so let's just 
flag every account whose password has been changed and lock it down, right? So, eh, yeah. uh, <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I get it. It was. It's probably yeah. If you're a hacker and you um you would change people's passwords, I guess, on their behalf, and then I guess it, it seems like a smart thing to do. It just totally counterintuitive that if I had done nothing to secure myself, then I would have been uh I would have been back, you know, back using the app again. Um, but you know, people were wondering what was what what would the the motivation be if it weren't purely to sh- steal what was it one hundred eighty thousand something like one hundred eighty thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin, which was not that big of a take. Yeah. Uh, end of the day, for something like for for the <laughs> the biggest hack that Twitter has ever experienced, um, taking what complete was, what, taking complete control right. over one of the you know second only to Facebook, maybe social network on the planet with perhaps greater media influence than facebook right like so facebook as a company is worth way more than twitter as a company but like twitter's the one that we're always worried about you know who tweeting something dumb that starts a war right like right because it doesn't it's not the walled garden that right. facebook is it's, it's way more of a sort of an amplification machine or a broadcast and it is sort of fundamentally simpler right this is the sort of thing i know that you get like at its core, it's really hard to explain what Facebook is. I honestly still don't understand it. I don't really quite understand what the hell it is. Like, right. Twitter is actually kind of easy to understand. You sign up, you get a name, and it, you know, and by convention, we just put an at sign in front of it, and then you can tweet, which is that you get to write up to 280 characters and hit send, and then it goes, and then anybody who looks at your account can see the things you've sent. That's it. That's yeah. the whole thing, really. And then everything right. else is just sort of butter on that in terms of like, you know, you can, uh, re- you know, reply to somebody by putting their name in it and it threads it somehow. But it's all just tweets. The replies are tweets. Everything's tweets. It's it's just tweets all the way down and tweets are just <laughs> little blurbs of text that you just throw out into the ether. Right. That's it. It's very easy to understand, and I feel like that is sort of what makes it more powerful in terms of, like, if somebody influential is just going to post a message, you just post it on Twitter, there it is, it goes out, and everybody can point to it. Anybody who, you know, somebody says, did you see what Adam Lisagor said? They just post the link, and you don't even have a Twitter account, maybe. You just hit the link, you can read what what it's there. You don't have to, you know, there's no goofy thing that pops up that's like, hey, sign up and tell me where you went to high school to sign into Facebook or whatever. No, it's just there. And then they can put it, you know, you, you show up on CNN, they can put at Gruber underneath your name or whatever, and the people know where your Twitter is. That simplicity is sort of the core of what makes it so powerful. These guys took control of it and <laughs> decided to use it to scam Bitcoins. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, if you're a little bit conspiracy minded, uh, that it was a sort of a, people are saying, People are saying, you know, it's oh god, that's what a terrible expression. Um, it's ruined. It's been from, ruined by you know who. Yeah, but <laughs> like you know, there there's there's speculation out there that um, it was a test run for something bigger. I just realized while we're talking about this because I watched the movie Sneakers um, a couple days ago. <laughs> I you love that the movie. movie. Sneakers. Oh. It all starts out with a with a robbery, a heist. Um, 
Uh, I forget the specifics. It's been a couple days, but um, and then you learn, <laughs> and then you learn that the whole thing was an actual inside job that he that they were that this ragtag uh, gang of uh, of uh, you know essentially old school hackers um, had been paid for you know paid by the bank to to pull off in order to discover uh, and patch security flaws. So what if this was a similar kind of an inside job, you know, and it wasn't that much of an investment to lose 180K in Bitcoin. Um, but now they know, I don't know, I kind of think like I, it's fun to have, to theorize about conspiracies like this. I don't, I think it's end of the day, completely false. And, and I would never, um, I would never uh, hang my, you know, any, any reputation on this kind of thing, but it would be an interesting way to sort of in, in, tr- you know, get people used to the idea that these platforms are not foolproof or, you know, they're not airtight. They can be exploited and we should be a little bit more security minded about that. Um, you know, I think it's really important re- leading up to this election that we don't consider this platform as airtight and, mm-hmm. you know, solid truth. And um, I think that if this little hack causes people to give it a second thought in terms of even the dis- the discussion of what's true and what's false then i think it served its purpose so uh ben thompson brought this up on on our dithering show the other day mm-hmm. and sunday we recorded sunday night and then this, that show came out monday that was what yesterday i don't know who the hell knows what day it is but then late sunday night uh amy and i watched the john oliver the uh Last last mm-hmm. week tonight with John Oliver. You, do you like the John Oliver? I do. I don't watch it regularly, but right. I think he's great. I, I I think he's great. But he had a bit. It was amazing because I wished I, I kind of I was like ah, I don't buy the conspiracy theory thing at all. And Ben was more like ah, I don't really buy it, but who knows maybe. And then it was just amazing. It was just like in the way like, like this sort of hey, am I living in some kind of weird slipstick? simulation of the universe because i was just talking mm-hmm. i mean ben and i record at like 10 at night and i was late of course 10 eastern um it's like 10 a.m over in taipei and then the john oliver show comes on at 11 and so it was just like you know i don't know literally like 30 minutes after i just talked to ben about it on our show john oliver had a bit talking about conspiracy theories and i'm not going to remember it here but it, the name of this psychological thing I swear to God, I'll find it for the show notes, but it doesn't matter. But the gist of it is that there's a well-known psychological effect in regarding conspiracy theories um, that something that has a great effect, the human mind assumes there must be an equally great cause for it. And the example, which I have never thought of and never heard anybody mention, or at least don't recall anybody mentioning, but which is like, whoa, mind blown, was <laughs> comparing the Kennedy assassination with Reagan getting shot, where mm-hmm. Kennedy gets shot, and the official story is it was a lone kook gunman. And the whole world thinks, well, that can't possibly be it and is, you know, quite possibly the conspiracy theory of all conspiracy theories, right? It's certainly up there in the greatest – if you're going to make the greatest hits of conspiracy theories, the Kennedy assassination is up there, right? I mean I don't see how anybody can dispute it, right? But what happened with Reagan, with John Hinckley Jr.? It was a lone kook gunman who 
went and shot him. And it, the difference, of course, is that Kennedy was killed and the effects were therefore profound and Reagan recovered. And, uh, you know, most people, it's not when you think like Ronald Reagan's presidency, like him getting shot is like not even at the top of the list of things that happen, which is kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's mm-hmm. zero conspiracy theories. Right. There is not one. Have you ever heard a conspiracy theory about Reagan's shooting? Everybody no, just... but, but 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 it because we got a psychological profile of of his killer. If it is it John David? No, it's not. No, John, John Hinckley. John Hinckley. John Hinckley. John Hinckley Jr. Yeah, which which seemed so entirely plausible, which was that he was a nutso who wanted to impress a movie star, right? And that seemed very plausible. Okay, so look at like look at the incels of our of of today. It that makes sense. You know, you could see somebody doing something really evil for the dumbest of all reasons and uh i guess the world needed no further explanation at the time well and i get it too and the thing that oliver didn't mention and i was like well there is the crazy aspect though where hinkley also shot him at like point blank range like he just Mm -hmm. reagan was just walking out of like the hilton after giving a speech and it just they just crazy it's like the last time it's ever happened where like the president just sort of left the president of the United States just left a building like a normal celebrity with just, you know, a couple of security export experts around him. But like the, the crowd on the sidewalk was there to, you know, shout and say hi to him and everything. Uh, you know, and Hinckley was just there with a gun in his pocket and shot him. Whereas, you know, like the mechanics of the shooting are actually very simple. And if you understand, if you understand how the president and through the 60, which is crazy after all, you know, Kennedy getting shot, you know, that, that they still just let the president walk out in the sidewalk, get into a car himself. Um, but the mechanics of it weren't crazy. It's just a guy. And, and the fact that he wasn't a trained shooter, you know, and just shot him in the stomach or the chest. Whereas the Hinkley thing, it does involve, you know, some rather preposterous or rather not preposterous, but hard to believe marksmanship and number of bullets and it's, you know what oh, I mean? The Lee Harvey Oswald, yeah. So yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to derail this whole thing into <laughs> some of the stuff around the Kennedy assassination, but mm-hmm. you know, yeah, there's other assassinations to talk about, right? I mean, but just some- <laughs> just thinking about the mechanics of the shooting. It you know it, it required it, even people who believe that there was you know that that uh, Lee Harvey Oswald. What's with these guys with the names that are hard to remember? Lee Harvey Oswald. You know, even if you believe that he did it all on his own, you still have to fundamentally believe that he was a tremendous marksman. You know, who could right. you know? So I, I get it. It's but the the bigger point though I think is true, which is that if Reagan had been killed, there would have been conspiracy theories about it right it, it, yeah. it's it's certain you know and i think that's sort of at the heart of this twitter thing i just i think it's exactly where it it was so prof the, their ownership of twitter's platform was so profound where they could literally pick any account almost any account they wanted to like there's just this, nobody even knows which ones are locked everybody knows that trump's is locked behind the key because because a couple of years ago a contractor <laughs> A contractor who worked right. at Twitter's security team part time or as a temporary worker on his last day of work deactivated Trump's account. Yeah, um, that was wonderful. Uh, so Trump's is under some kind of special lock and key. I guess Jack Dorsey's is. I, I only guess because 
you know, he is the CEO and his account wasn't apparently tweeting, you know, the Bitcoin scam. Maybe not. Yeah. I don't know who else is there. I, it seems crazy that that Trump's would be under this and Joe Biden's wouldn't at this point. I mean, I'll bet yeah. it is right now. I'll bet as you and I record that uh, they were like, hey, we better, you know, better put Biden's account under the same thing as Trump's. Um, yeah. But it, well, I, 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 how about make everybody's that safe? How, you know, I yeah. think that's the main point here is, hey, jerks, we're all spending all this time on your platform. Like, you know, a, a big, a large portion of society is using this platform to express and, and learn information. How about keep us safe? How about don't make this happen? Um, <laughs> well, I think the craziest thing is that you could have everybody says over and over again with everything, do two factor, two factor, two factor. I mean, and I've done it. I have gone through, I'm not going to say every single account I have that I could have two-factor on, I have it on, but every one that I think is important, I do, right? Like, I've got it on my bank. I've got it on my credit cards. Um, you know, my Twitter accounts have it. Uh, my Gmail account has it. Any, you know, so email, Twitter, banking credit cards. I mean, pretty much anything serious. I mean, you know, like my account at jcrew.com does not have two-factor authentication. <laughs> you know I mean? Honestly. I am going to order you so many chinos that right. are not going to be flattering to you. Oh, right. boy. Somebody breaks into my account there, and they're going to find the least surprising order history that they've ever seen. <laughs> it's just a bunch of, you know, flashy navy blue polos. <laughs> and, a, and a bunch of gray shorts. Um, uh, but if you had two-factor on your Twitter account, and everybody said, well, what's the, and when this first thing went wild and all these, you know, this great obvious scams are coming out of these accounts, everybody's like, oh, my God, that is nuts that so-and-so didn't have two-factor on their account because everybody just assumed two-factor would protect you, right? Mm -hmm. Um Turns out that the same interface that let them like just change the email associated with an account also let them just just like click a checkbox to turn off two factor, which is sort of like I, yeah, I, you would think they should lock that down. And it was all social engineering, right? To, right. to, to hack in the first place. It, it's like having a vault where you know, like with a big thick. You know, caper movie, three foot thick door for the vault door and a crazy, you know, combination lock. But it's just a panel and you could just walk around the side. <laughs> you know? It's just like one face out of the four. It's not actually a box. It's like, yeah, the door, you know, the, the vault door right. is super secure, but you could just walk around the side and just turn it off. Or there's a guy, there's a security guard, but you just kind of. You throw a, a piece of meat around the corner and he goes <laughs> yeah. and chases it. Yeah. Well, the other thing that was so wild about so everybody, I, again, I think that this fundamental theory, the reason people are thinking there must be a greater conspiracy is that it was so uh, bizarre. And it really seems like the Bitcoin part was secondary and it was something that one of the hackers involved, I, I don't know if he had it in mind all along. But like the things that they did first before the Bitcoin thing were just trying to steal what they call OG Twitter handles, which oh I was unaware. I, I realized that they are few and far between. Um, 
these are the one character names like at six, like just at yeah. the character six. Uh, you know, obviously there's only like 40 or so. I don't know how many, maybe only 37 one character Twitter names. Uh, mm-hmm. The 26 letters of the alphabet, the 10 digits. And then our friend Dave, Dave Rutledge, who runs uh, or created, co-created meh.com has at underscore. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, that's a that's been a mess for him. Yeah, you think like that's clever. His his Twitter handle is underscore, just one underscore. Uh and I believe his wife is two underscores and he's secured three underscores for one of their kids, I believe. Um, oh. Yeah, but guess guess whose account gets hacked all the time. <laughs> oh man, that sucks. Yeah. Uh and at so one this point this was that so that was the big heist, huh? That yeah. just getting single character accounts and then once they realized they had something then they did. This was their version of the check out my SoundCloud when you have a tweet uh, yeah. go viral. Yeah. Interesting and terrible. And it's very stupid. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's ultimately, I think that one of the things that's forgotten in Twitter hacking history, everybody remembers the saga of, again, friend of the show. Although, yeah, I don't think he's ever been on, but Matt Honan, who's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a big wig over at BuzzFeed News now, mm-hmm. um, but who, uh, Quite unusually, in my opinion, spells his name M A T. He doesn't have the second T. Um, uh, you know, which is a lot less common than, say, being a John without the H, um, but not quite as uncommon as being an Adam without, like, the second A. You know, which, <laughs> yeah, that'd be weird. <laughs> although it's, you know, do you well in it for a career in the Navy? Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, Matt Honan years ago, I mean, this might be 10 years ago at this point, got hacked uh, his, and, and badly. Like this, everything. Right. Like, you his remember Apple ID and everything. As yeah, Apple, right. cause they, and they only took his Apple ID, I think, to get his Twitter. But uh, he wrote about it eventually. But it really was devastating at a personal level because they took his Apple ID and he had everything else like his banking and everything was all through his apple id but he lost his apple id to these hackers um and it seemed like twitter's initial reaction was to assume that honan got hacked because he was in the media and that's when i got verified uh i did i never asked for the at gruber account to get the blue check mark they just gave i just logged in one day and i had it because they were going through they had some assembled some sort of list of people like matt honan and, you know, for obvious reasons, I am vaguely like him in terms of the number of people following me and that I write stuff that people read. But I think it's clear in hindsight that the reason Honan got hacked wasn't because he was in the media, but because his username was MAT. Huh. It was one of these OG Twitter accounts. Gosh, I can only. Yeah, I had no idea that there was so much value in these short handles. Right. And well, and the, but the value cannot be seen as permanent because surely, you know, it it, it 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 no matter what how how quietly they had tried to play this, if they had really just tried to steal, and they were selling these things according to the New York New York Times, you know, there was like fifteen hundred bucks or twenty five hundred bucks would get you like a two character username. Hmm. Surely they didn't expect it to be permanent. I guess, unless it's like a maybe if it's a Twitter account that was abandoned and that nobody used, and uh, you know, 
but if it, somebody was using it, surely Twitter, you know, this was going to come to their attention and they would see, oh, this person says their Twitter account was stolen on this day and that was the day we got hacked. And they're, yes, that's when the email address and everything was changed. So we'll just give it back to this person. Surely they didn't expect it to be permanent. You know, I think it's just like a typical prank where you, you know, think you're going to get away with it for an hour and uh, just all very bizarre. And I just think people have a hard time grasping that like 20 year old computer hackers would do it, would have this power in their hands and use it to steal the LOL account. Yeah. Yeah, I was real dumb. But I think, again, silver lining is now we're all just a little bit more aware of the of the security uh, flaw. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I do wonder what Twitter's going to do. It's pretty embarrassing for them, especially, you know, and people do. And I know we're, we're joking about it. Um, but, you know, th- that's the thing that people get is, that, you know, what if they had, you know, tweeted from somebody's account that, you know, like, you know, at Joe Biden, I'm dropping out of the race or something like that. Um, <laughs> you know, or stock manipulation, right? I mean, people could oh, yeah, have lost yeah, real money. Thing. You, yeah, the Tesla being shorted or or right. um or other. Right. And you know, and it Tesla in particular comes to mind because their stock is uh you know, on a rocket and it is so it is volatile and we know for a fact that Elon Musk tweets goofy things. <laughs> like Yeah. He gets high and tweets that he's taking the company private at $420 a share. He did that. Like, that wasn't a hack. So, you know, something just every bit as similar as that would have, you know, it certainly seemed to be believable. I think think Matt Levine, who writes the great money stuff newsletter for Bloomberg, you know, his idea was have, have... you know, if you wanted to really try to make some money, um, it's either short the stock or long the stock. If you wanted to long it and, and assume it was going to go up, uh, have uh, the just hack two accounts, Elon Musk, and say, hey, this time for real, I'm taking the company public at blank, mm-hmm. put the target number in with the help of um, – Warren Buffett, and then just take the mm-hmm. Buffett account and say, "I'm happy to help Elon Musk take the great company Tesla private." Would you know we've cured all the financing? Boom! The stock jumps up. You cash out, and you know, and maybe the SEC finds you. But there's so many people who are on a daily basis shorting and long. I mean, it's like become like a, a coronavirus quarantine hobby is day trading stocks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, you know, if you did it for l- enough money that it might be worth it to you, but not so much that it really sticks out among the zillions of trades people, crazy trades people do with Tesla every day, you could have gotten away with it. But instead, they just took <laughs> took goofy user names. So dumb. Uh, uh, well, let's uh, uh, let's talk about uh, my show uh, before I forget. So you helped yeah. out. So I wrote yeah, about your it. remote show, yeah. Um, and I just want to—I want to thank you, really. I, I want to thank you personally. Um, no, absolutely, no sweat. Because I here's absolutely. here's here. I mean, I mean, let me relay how this came to be, as I best I recollect it. I started talking with Apple, you know, I don't know, six weeks before WWDC, maybe a little bit before that, you know, 
just sort of, hey, uh, like I think maybe around the time when they first announced that WWDC was going to be virtual, I had some preliminary talk with, well, look, this, you know, we're obviously not, you, you, I don't, you know, you're obviously not going to do a show traditionally. We still will probably be interested in doing something with you if you would like to. You know, but it would have to be remote. And I said, yeah, I would like to. I, You know, it's too good of a tradition to, to let fall. Let's Agreed. figure it out when we get closer. Get closer. And, you know, it's like, okay, here's what we were thinking. You know, um, what if we did, what if, what if Jaws and Craig come on the show again? And even in normal years, it's, it, it is them suggesting Here's who maybe would be a good idea for the show. And, you know, Federighi doesn't really spill anything. Everybody knows Federighi is going to be involved. But like a couple of years ago when Mike Rockwell, who's in charge of all the machine learning stuff at Apple, um, when they were like, we're thinking about Mike Rockwell, he's you know in charge of this. It was sort of a, uh, you know, there's sort of like a handshake deal preliminary to the show that i'm not gonna go blab and say mike you know part of the thing is that i'm going to keep the guest secret part of it is that it's a lot of fun to come out on stage and nobody in the audience even knows who's coming out and part of it is like if it's mike rockwell and i announced it in advance it would sort of suggest that maybe the wwdc keynote is going to have a lot of machine learning ai yeah there's some corporate secret stuff that they can't, they don't want that, that's going to indicate you don't want to divulge. Right. Uh, yeah. But, you know, and it was like, you know, and what do, what are we going to do? And the, the basic conversation I had with, with Bill Evans at Apple PR was uh, that I'm, I watch a lot of these late night shows. I watch the, uh, Colbert, we watch the Seth Meyers late night show. Uh, I peek in at the Jimmy Kimmel sometimes. I like, you know, I, I'm a t- you know, that's why this show's called the talk show. I like talk shows. Mm-hmm. I find the production value of the shows during quarantine to be, uh, overall, to be a, a unbelievably poor. I, I <laughs> yeah. can't believe it. I could believe it at like the end of March when it was new and it was like nobody saw this. Yeah, coming. it's like, oh shit, we gotta get something up and running like now, six hours till till showtime. But yeah, they could easily in this amount of time they could have easily built a, a little studio for each of the uh, you know, a little home studio for each of the right and, each and, of the shows. And where it particularly falls flat is the interviews when they have guests on and they mm-hmm. just look, I mean, and it, not even talking about the editing, but just the, the compression artifacts that you're actually just looking at the compression artifacts of a zoom call over mediocre bandwidth <laughs> and a terrible, sometimes a terrible like MacBook webcam. Um, I, I just can't believe that they don't have, and this we can talk about this with you, but you know, the way that it would be a, more self contained, but like the way that, that you guys at Sandwich have put together a kit that you can send right. around to shoot stuff remotely. Like, why don't they have an interview kit and they can just send it in a box with some instructions? And then as the weeks go on, they can, you know, here's where people got hung up. Oh, people got confused sure. about this and this. And then you get it down and then. Everybody could have like a nice light or two and a nice camera 
and a good microphone and maybe we wouldn't record the actual compressed stuff going over the internet. Just basically, I, I find it very hard to watch. I really do. I don't watch the interviews anymore because I, I really, I, I can't, it, it's, I, I just, it's too hard. It feels like I'm like reading, yeah. well, reading something well, in subtitles. It's a quandary for them for these shows because if they if let's say they do figure out a really good mobile production kit and then some of like then the interviews <clears throat> the other side of the interview starts looking and sounding better or even like looking and sounding great, then they're kind of stuck at that level of that 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 production quality standard, and then anything that falls short of that is gonna really stick out and look right. terrible. Um, by comparison, so they they're almost I feel like they're doing themselves a favor, acknowledging that that hey, it's a free for all. We're going to get what we're going to get, limited not only by the capture gear but the actual bandwidth that people have available to them. Um, so, and the physical, I don't know. The physical, it's just like we're the, we're just having to. What's that? Well, the physical space that people are quarantining in, right? right. Not everybody has the luxury of having a space available with, say, like I did, nice natural light. Or space yeah. at all, right? I mean, there's people who live in small apartments, you know, with kids or pets. and Yeah, you know. and also most people prioritize different things in their home office. They don't care about what it looks like behind them because they're looking in front of them all right. day long. You know, they so they don't care. Usually people sort of sit with a back against the wall and a bunch of framed, you know, commemorative things. And those things don't look good on camera. Yeah. So anyway, that was my basic thing is I didn't want it to look like that because part of it was simple vanity. I don't want to put out a show that looks like garbage. But right. also, if I have trouble following along with a very poor just sort of record the actual Zoom or FaceTime or it doesn't even matter which of the things you're using, if you just record it to disk, I, I really I, – I just have a hard time following along. I, I – I wanted people to enjoy it, you know, and yeah. that was my basic thing was let's, let's, you know, we don't do anything fancy, but let's make it look good and sound good. And let's figure this out. And we figured out the mechanics of basically long story short. And it, you know, I wrote all the technical details, but do it as a double ender and yeah. have a camera. That's not the, even the webcam recording it. We just used iPhones, but the iPhones are great people. Uh, and again, that was, it, it wasn't like a, uh, an advertisement for iPhones. I wasn't even under any obligation to say that I shot my end with an iPhone 11 and that I what I could have used a different camera. I could have used any camera I wanted to. They just said, we're going to use iPhones. And I was like, I was going to use an iPhone too, because it's actually the best video camera I own. And I didn't mm -hmm. really feel like <laughs> buying a new camera just for this. No. Um, not because I'm cheap either. I love buying cameras, but I just was afraid to buy something and learn something new. I want something dependable. Um, yeah. People couldn't believe that they were just shot with iPhone 11s. I mean, because both ends look great. Yeah, um, yeah. They 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 looked they look and sound great right out of the box. You know, all the default computational math is there for a reason. It's to take any material and automatically automatically make it look incredible right. without having to do anything. And then when, you know, and then if you have actual post-production involved, you can take that and elevate it just that, that couple of notches better. And that's when people start to say, Oh, that didn't even look like an iPhone. That looked like right. a professional camera. And so a lot of the weight was off my shoulders though. I think we got this. I think we can do it mechanically. I think I know what equipment we'll use. 
I know that I've got a good rapport with Federighi and Jaws. You know, this is going to work. Um, and then they were like, well, what are you going to do about editing? And again, you know, and it, 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 it not like I, I, I said that came out like they were <laughs> confrontational mm-hmm. about it. And I was like, ah, <laughs> I, I've got it. And they're like, well, we could suggest like we can suggest contractors we've worked worked with for editing. I was like, I think I think I'll, you know, and, and again, it wasn't like we they were trying to calls, take ownership yeah. of it. It's my show. And, you know, and they're like, OK, cool. And I thought I had in the back of my head. I'm going to ask I'm going to ask Adam and Sandwich because I I just know that you knock it out of the park. But then I put it off a little too long and then I got all real nervous about it. I was like, "Oh my god, what if they're busy, you know?" And it's like, uh-huh. what a terrible ask." And I really <laughs> I didn't know I didn't really have a plan B. <laughs> but I, <laughs> but I, I was like, "Well, I could figure out a plan B." I mean, you know, it is well. You know, you have an army at your disposal, like a, right. a little army of of of, peop, of fans that would just you right. know, mobilize right here. Right, I'm not. I'm not toiling on obscurity, so I wasn't thinking right. like it's sandwich or nothing, but it's like sandwich or the unknown. And but I reached yeah. out, and you were like, "Yeah, we could do that. It'd be great." Uh, <laughs> and then as we got into it, and I. I I just realized, oh my God, if I, if this weren't you and your, your colleagues, a sandwich, I would just be, uh, I'd be on the edge of a cliff thinking about jumping off because (laughs) it was such a tremendous relief to know that it was in good hands and to give what I thought were just sort of like the equivalent, almost literal equivalent of like a pen on a napkin instructions. (laughs) Here's, you know, basically it, you guys took it and just completely got it. You knew exactly what I meant and cut it together. And, and, you know, like you said, just, you know, a little bit of color correction and, and stuff to just, you know, sweeten it just the right amount. Yeah. Um, just make the conversation flow. If there's three, if there's three, literally three video sources that you're or in there, in this case, what five. Yeah. Cause they each had two cameras. Right. Then you're just you're just making sure everything flows together and doesn't impede the conversation. Yeah, uh, and I, you know, came out great, but it was um, ah, what a relief and what a tremendous... it was fun to be asked because I've I've obviously been to you know many of your live shows in the Bay and you always have like Caleb Sexton and um, you know Jake Schumacher mm-hmm. sort of doing the live the live event coverage of stuff from the audio and video standpoint and then. And those guys are all great and very talented. And of course, Caleb works with you on the audio side of things still. But so I wouldn't have been well suited to or set up to do that kind of thing. Live events is not our our bag at Sandwich. Right. But this this kind of thing, especially having just come off the project with for Slack, where literally it was all done remotely, and you know figuring out how to shuffle data around and capturing from many locations etc so it, it just felt like a fun thing to do let's try this out and the only thing that we didn't really account for was like working with an hour plus of <laughs> how how long was the final thing uh like i'm gonna say it was around 80 minutes yeah yeah 80 minutes of 80 minutes of program instead of our typical 90 seconds right the data is a lot heavier as we as we all experienced <laughs> otherwise we would have gotten it out that first night right <laughs> oh god that was harrowing Oh, it was so bad. I had, <laughs> I, I've talked about it before, but yeah, my yeah. 10 megabit per second upstream here in Oof. Cable Town 
has hasn't really been an issue. Like Ben Thompson, you know, the video goes up to Dropbox, and we use a thing called ZenCaster for dithering. But we, you know, literally really record like sixteen, seventeen minutes to do a fifteen-minute show. And, you know, he's always making fun of me for how long it takes for my 17 minutes of nothing but wave <laughs> audio to upload. Like, oh. and 4K, 30 <laughs> frames per second 4K video. Uh, yeah, that, it was heavy. Yeah. I did have though. the thought when we were doing it. I did have the thought as we were waiting for the six or seven hours for my stuff to go to where you guys could access it. I thought, well... This makes me feel a lot better about the fact that I only shot my side from one camera instead of two. Yeah. <laughs> like oh, they didn't with theirs because it would have doubled it. <laughs> yeah. And of course, on their end, they, you know, we get, we, they had the same, I think, frame IO um, destination yeah. that we gave you, and theirs was up in like 14 seconds flat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> like I wisecracked that it, you know I that they apparently have better internet than I do, but you know <laughs> I, I suspect it's really no joke that you know Apple's <laughs> not just Apple period, but their new new facility has you know very fast internet. Uh, <laughs> what do you think? Here's a technical question for you. So we shot 4K 30 frames per second, um, which may or may not be 29.97, whatever. I don't mm. care. It's 30 frames per mm-hmm. second. Right. Do you think we should have shot 24 frames per second? No. Oh, such a great question. I love talking about <laughs> frame rates. Um, and I'm dealing with that with my own home setup too. Uh, there's a time and a place for uh, 24 frames per second. And I think for most purposes, when you're trying to make something feel um, greater than contemporaneous, when mm-hmm. when you're trying to lend some weight or some archival importance to something, yeah, 24 frames per second is great because films are shot in 24, and you the 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 eye and the mind can pick up on the subtle differences between 24 and 30, where we all grew up with 30 frames per second, or um, and so we know that that represents um, essentially video, which. Often, especially when we were kids, video was used for, you know, live event type of things or, you know, news or, um, you know, SNL kind of things, live to tape kind of things. And it makes you feel more present as though it's 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 happening in the moment. Um, So with, with something like a Zoom call, yeah, I could easily switch my camera to 24 frames per second. But then I just. I feel like it lends almost like a self-importance to my image that I don't really need to be in most of my business calls. Maybe if I'm trying to say something very, very important, profound, then I'll, I'll switch, switch it over to 24. But then again, I'm talking to people who are all mostly, you know, with their MacBook camera and, you know, the the same 29.97 frame rate. So I'll I'll just be the odd man out and it'll look weird and everything. But years and years ago, when I was at Coachella, I noticed, and they start, and they, it was one of the first years that they had giant video screens up on the main stage, you know, like they do in so many concerts now. Yeah. Every concert, um, every concert has giant video s- screens on at least the left and right of the stage, so that if you're far away, you can experience the event in, in person. And for those first. Uh, it might have been just the first year that they had basically an actual crew 
like an you know an actual like multi camera video crew up there on the stage shooting with cranes, getting the cap you know capturing the the audience footage and everything meant to feel like a real time documentary crew. Well, they uh, it was the weirdest phenomenon, but they they uh, oh man, I I'm feeling like um, deja vu, like we've talked about this on your show before, and if so. Shame on me. Well, I forgot. <laughs> okay, but anyway, so. so that that first year, they it was in the very beginning of video cameras, pro video cameras being able to capture in twenty four frames per second, which was a huge game changer f- for filmmakers back then. Right, and so they um, they captured and displayed their live, you know, doc, um, you know, f- filmmaking in twenty four frames per second. So that everything that you were watching on the video screens up there was 24 frames per second. And the unintended consequence of that or the psychological effect of that is that people in the audience felt like they were watching a movie instead of a concert. And when you feel it, when you're watching a movie, you don't really like scream and dance and shout a lot. So what I noticed was that the the audience was or the the crowd was way more subdued in mm. ways that aren't, you know, don't lend themselves to a good concert. And, uh, it was just the weirdest thing. And then the the next year they flipped it back to 30 frames per second. And it felt again, like in real time, it felt real time. Like you're supposed to be reacting. You're not intended to stay sort of quiet and, and spectate. You're supposed to participate. I remember the first time I saw something like this and it wasn't live in an audience. It was, and I know it was on MTV. I'm going to just say it was the, yeah. VM, the VMAs. No, it was the movie award. The, the, no, yes, it was, it was or maybe the, the movie or the, or the movie awards. I, I, I yeah. totally remember that. Yeah. They did 24 the first, the and, first time. Yeah. Maybe it was, so I don't know. It was one of their award shows, but they did 24 <laughs> and <laughs> I have very vivid memories of watching it with Amy, and I don't even watch a lot of award shows. I maybe I used to watch more. I think, but yeah. well, uh, they used to be more of events, and, yeah, and but, now it just everything disappears. But I remember it on in a in a couple of different ways. Is I remember I remember watching it. I remember being blown away by the quality at first, mm-hmm. and thinking, "What are they? How are they doing this?" And then, like, yeah. very quickly realized, oh, they're shooting 24 frames per second. That's what's giving it this film look. Yeah. Um, you know, and calling it a film look is a thing we don't even talk about anymore because video right. has gotten so good. But there was a while there in the late 90s through the early 2000s where film look, film look, film look was something that all anybody... I mean, you certainly know more than I do because you went into it professionally. But even as like somebody like a nerd following along, it was something I, you know, I was aware of. Everybody was looking for filters and things you could throw video through to make it look like film. And of course, the biggest is just shoot 24 instead of 30 frames per second. Um, I figured this out. And of course, I start yapping to Amy about it. And she... (laughs) He's just like there to see Johnny Depp. She's not does not want to <laughs> it does not hear care. about frame rate. Yeah. And at first my first feeling was technical euphoria of this is amazing. They're shooting something live in 24, and it does look like a movie, and it does look like film, even though it can't be film because it's live, you know. And I'm yeah. amazed. And then very quickly I was like, but this is all wrong. Like, this doesn't feel live at all. This feels like I'm yeah. watching a movie years from now about the 
whatever year it was, the 2003 Video Music Awards or whatever. Like it, it just totally broke the illusion that I was watching a live broadcast of a of an award show. Right, and it took the it took the experimentation in order to figure out that that was wrong. That's, right, that's that's what's kind of fun is that that feeling that they were with all these the introduction of these new tools, the new tech to do twenty four frames per second. They were learning it as as the rest of us were too. And then like twenty um, min- I, I, twenty minutes would go by, and I would just say to Amy after like keep my mouth shut. But do you 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 see what I mean? Though? This doesn't feel live. And she was like, "Don't just like right. leave." She's like, "Get out of here." Right. Well, I mean, and it's even the same phenomenon in reverse of the H uh, high frame rate stuff that, you know, Peter Jackson or Ang Lee was experimenting with where it seems like it might be a good idea. But then you quickly discover that it was a bad idea because because what like the brain associates it with with something that it's already experienced, you know, in our in the case of MTV or Coachella, the brain uh, associates it with watching a movie. Mm -hmm. And in the case of um, Peter Jackson movie, uh, the brain associates it with watching uh, soap opera or, um, you know, motion smoothing on your TV. All right. So I will say I'll never find it in I, – I, I didn't bookmark it, so I'll never find it. But um, at, at some point within the last month, and it was more like a month ago when the protests were more of an ongoing uh, thing around the country – uh, and there, of course, one of the the very notable, I mean, just remarkable, and it's unlike anything else anybody's ever seen in history. Aspects of protests in 2020 is the fact that almost every, the overwhelming majority of the people involved in the protests are carrying extraordinarily good video cameras with them yeah. at all times. Yeah. Um, but the default, and you know, the 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 defaults are the defaults for a reason. Yeah. Um, the default doesn't change for most people, and the default for just about every camera I'm aware of, and certainly all iPhones, is 1080p, 30 frames per second. Right. But you can go to 60. Um, and I saw one of the things here in Philadelphia. Um, you know the the famous art museum we have on our park, our Ben Franklin Parkway, where the steps are that Rocky Balboa ran up in cinematic mm-hmm. fame. Um, is it, but it's also where we have big public events like uh, big concerts for the Fourth of July. When you can have concerts for the Fourth of July, and mm-hmm. it's also a great spot for protests because it's just this big, wide boulevard parkway. And anyway, somebody shot um, a scene there, and they clearly had their phone at 60 frames per second. And the difference, the the you are there aspect of it was just unbelievable. It was like, holy Mm. crap. Like, if you've got this, if you're going to shoot uh, protest footage or, like, news event footage and you can quick put your phone in 60 frames per second, that might be a fantastic idea. And it really also really helped with the handheld nature of it. And it wasn't... The, the footage that I saw that was 60 wasn't any kind of incident. It wasn't like, oh, here's the cops, you know, beating on a guy or or here's protesters setting a car afire. It was just, hey, look at this amazing crowd of people. But it was panning around, obviously handheld. 
and the panning just was just uh, unbelievable at 60 frames per second in terms of conveying conveying a sense of this is what it would be like to stand on that spot and pan your head yeah that's incredible that what the the subtleness the subtlety that our brains can pick up on in terms of like the space between the frames and i agree 60 frames per second for something like that is so much more immersive um where you know and 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 you start to you, you start to think about like what what are what is the max where it doesn't matter anymore where yeah. is the, where do the returns start diminishing um you know we, you know he's and then think about the fact that Canon just released an 8K prosumer camera uh, and like what what is that going to make everything feel that much more immersive or or not yeah, but, um, you know, typically high frame rates are so that you can slow them down to, um, you know, twenty four, and 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 uh, you know, distort time in that way, and sort of make make a make a moment feel differently. But um, I really like the this idea because it starts to approach at sixty frames per second. It starts to approach sort of VR feeling, yeah, without the VR. Yeah, definitely. That's absolutely the effect. It is sort of a. V- just looking at it on a simple, I say simple, and there's somebody at Apple who's worked on like the HDR aspects of the <laughs> yeah. OLED screen who is like, that's not simple. But you know what I mean? It doesn't involve goggles or a curved screen or, you know, any kind of 3D. But there is a VR-like aspect to 60 frames per second. And I have to say, before I forget, because I, I again, I should have put it in the notes, but now I'll remember it. My funniest behind-the-scenes aspect of my show um, which I have to say, and and you say, well, why would you ever need an 8K camera? You know, you can't, it, maybe you can't see it. Mm-hmm. And the minimum screen size you would need to be able to see the difference in quality from 4K is enormous, you know, and certainly wouldn't, you know, no, even if you had like a wall-to-wall TV in your living room, quite possibly wouldn't be large enough to see the difference. And how many people are going to project their consumer shot video onto an actual cinema movie screen where maybe 8K would make a difference. But one thing you can do with 4K footage is you can crop. Yeah. And and so if you have 8K footage and you have, and it's, you know, you may not do it so much in a professionally shot thing like what you do because you're going to, you can plan everything out. But certainly if you're shooting news footage or like a protest or something like that, if you happen to capture something on 8K, but the detail is only a portion of the frame, you can crop and you, instead of losing resolution, you can still keep it and broadcast it. And if you're broadcasting at 1080, you know, just a tiny fraction of the frame is, is, isn't is losing any fidelity at all. And anyway, yeah. the thing I'm reminded of is <laughs> the soda can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So we, what I, was it a Lacroix or something? What was it? Uh, I forget. It was not Lacroix. I don't drink Lacroix. Oh, it was a San mm-hmm. Pellegrino. Uh, yeah. They San Pellegrino sells these the fruity things. Um, yeah. Um, so I I stressed inordinately, uh, probably too much, over where to frame my end of the video, and got some great advice from you, which was I had showed you a couple of places around my house and you're like, Hey dummy, just shoot it right here in the corner of your office. That looks great. <laughs> he goes, that looks great. It's simple. It's you don't even, th- these other ideas are bad, you know? And again, that's not how, those aren't the words you said. The words you said made it seem like maybe I wasn't an idiot for suggesting some of the other spots, but I could read between <laughs> the lines and figure it out. 
And then I shot it by my wife and, and my wife, Amy. And she was like, yeah, he's right. That does look great. Why, you know, why do we pay all this money to get these nice slats on the side? That we've got a cool thing <laughs> on the one side of my office. Uh, why wouldn't you shoot there? And I was like, oh, yeah. I don't know why I went and shot footage in every other room in my house. Uh, so I set it up. And, of course, it was nothing was looked like it was right. You saw the shot from, like, two days before. And it was, like, just, like, mm-hmm. a you know, like, boxes and stuff. And I was like, well, a, you know, Amy, can you make this look good? And she was like, yes, I will make it look good. And, <laughs> like, I think your advice was just make sure there's some color. Uh, right. I think she did a good job. We had some nice stuff she in did. there. She did great. It looked great. Um, but she really did. And she knocked herself. I mean, she, and she didn't half ass it. She really spent a lot of time. And because we had actually done the backstory is that my office got renovated, uh, the end of last year through the beginning of this year and literally wrapped up right when quarantine hit, like the timing could not have been more serendipitous in terms of like, if quarantine had hit like two weeks earlier, you know, and like whenever you have any kind of, uh, home improvement type stuff the last like couple days everything comes together you know like there's all sorts of stuff that's mostly done but then it doesn't get the finishing touch until the very end so like two weeks would have been like we would have had like the whole quarantine in a house that's covered with tarps and stuff like that instead we weren't um but i've never because i'm me i've never fully unpacked my office stuff from the basement (laughs) So, like, <laughs> I've got all this stuff I need to put on the shelves, the nice new shelves I have in my office, but haven't. And to look for nice stuff to put on the shelves, my wife did, really had to do a lot more work than you might think in terms of going through cardboard boxes with unhelpful names. <laughs> <laughs> and she made it look really nice. I really think it looked great. And I shot the interview with Jaws and Craig first, and then I had to shoot my opening uh, where I thanked the sponsors uh, second. And in between, I was parched and got got a soda and <laughs> left it in the, left it behind me, <laughs> and really just did not have it. In theory, I could have just re-recorded the opening, but I just didn't have it in me. I was emotionally spent. I just and I need. I wanted to turn this around quickly, and but. If it had been all me, I would have just said, ah, the hell with it. There's a soda can in the back. It's like a gag. But my wife had really knocked herself out to make it look as perfect as possible. <laughs> I really felt like I'd be letting her down. And you told me, don't worry, we can crop it out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was that was, uh, that was was plan A. Plan B was actually just to, to patch it out, you know, just to l- – <laughs> motion photoshop it which wouldn't have been that hard either but the crop the crop did fine um and yeah we we shoot in usually our we shoot our commercials in either 4k or 3k and it's not really because they're planned out professionally it, it we do we punch into shots all the time mm-hmm. um to get you know closer or whatever or just um to be able to reframe so it's really nice right. to have the extra the extra resolution all right yeah, I didn't mean. To, um, I, I guess I, I didn't think about that, but yeah, I guess I do notice sometimes when I'm watching stuff that it probably wasn't a different setup. It just just punched in to get slightly closer in an interview. Yeah, you can probably tell a little bit in very very subtle ways by how if you're cropping out the optical edges of the lens, um, yeah, then it you can sort of tell. Oh, that's not what any actual lens looks like on the edges of the frame. 
Right, but, but you know, if, not not in not in a way that you would ever really think about. Right, and if you're interested in the subject matter, that's the last. You know, if you're looking at the edges of the frame for optical distortion, uh, the telltale sign of like an anamorphic lens or something like that, you're probably bored by whatever it is you're watching. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, and that's very different from like your side as you know when when you're in editing. And you become so intimately familiar with every single shot in a way mm-hmm. that you almost lose sense of the flow of the cinema when you get caught up on you know the specifics of how do we cut between these three things. Or, uh, but when you're just watching, you really should, if you're noticing the the edges of the frame, you're probably bored. Yeah, something something went wrong. Yeah. So um, I rewatched the um, mm-hmm. the keynote this year and i and i was just because i i when we were talking about frame rates i was got curious what when if you had to go if you had to guess what would what would you say was it shot in 24 or 30 that's if this is partly what made me think about it because there was a sort of cinematic look to it but yeah, i don't yeah. think it was 24 i think it was 30 but i don't know what they did that's my guess and i i have not i swear to you i haven't cheated and looked but my guess yeah. is they shot the keynote in 30, but there is something going on in post or some things going on in post that give it a, a movie-like feel that makes me wonder. That's my guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I love that there was the whole meticulously composed sort of premeditated um, feel to the whole thing. I, I actually do think, I mean, I'm going to guess, but I could be wrong and wh- whatever. Then I lose my filmmaker license, but I do <laughs> think it was shot in 24 frames per second. Um, I'm almost positive, mm. uh, especially looking at the opening stuff with Tim Cook mm. in the, you know, in the, in the theater. Right. Um, uh, well, hold that thought. Yeah. I want to get back. Yeah. Let's just go deep on the keynote and how they did it. But let me, let me take a break here and uh, hit the money button. Um, and talk about our friends at Feels, F-E-A-L-S. Do you experience stress? I do. I've told you about 10 different stressful things I've had in the last month. Uh, Our anxiety, chronic pain, trouble sleeping, even just once a week. You're not alone. Many people do. Feels, F-E-A-L-S, is premium CBD delivered directly to your doorstep. CBD from Feels naturally reduces stress, anxiety, pain, sleeplessness, all you do is you take a few drops, put it under your tongue, and you can feel the difference within minutes. Uh, they offer, if you're new to CBD, which a lot of people are, maybe most people are, they have a free hotline. You can call them up or text message them, ask your questions, and they'll tell you what they recommend. Uh, and it just is all natural. There's no high. It doesn't get you goofy. It's not like uh, uh, drugs just de-stresses you no high no hangover no addiction i mean it'd be something if they were selling something addictive but it's not and they have a membership program you join the feels community you get feels delivered to your door every month you save money on every order by being a member um really if you're interested here's where you go to check them out feals.com feels.com slash talk show and this is really a, quite a deal. Feels.com slash talk show gets you 50% off your first order and free shipping. I say if they're giving you 50% off free shipping, you don't even need that, but they're giving it free shipping too. So that's feals.com slash talk show. 50% taken off your first order with free shipping. Cool. Um, this 
This is a real interesting brand color. I'm on the website. I don't think I've ever seen that as a brand color before. Kind of like that bra- beige foundation, like makeup foundation color. Mm. It is. And it sort of has like a hint of orange to it. Yeah, a little orange. Yeah. It is an interesting brand color. Kind of like it. I, look at that. And it, you, look at that. It's, see, now you've got me thinking. You got me thinking like you. Uh, <laughs> But if you scroll down, there's there's a young woman here about halfway down the page, and uh, she's got like a potted plant next to her. Uh huh. The pot. Oh yeah. Same color. Yeah, picks up the color. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Right there with the cool. package. Um. So the keynote. I yeah. This is. Uh, I it was in hindsight, and I've I rewatched the actual keynote again. So I watched mm-hmm. it live. Nobody knew it was gonna what it was gonna be like. Uh, I expected something sort of like this. I know there were a lot of people, and I was—I I guess I should have to, to get my being right points. Should have posted about it on <laughs> Daring Fireball. Um, but like the night before, I tweeted my predictions for how they would do it, like the basic mechanics of how they would do it. And most of the people seemed to be under the belief that I was crazy because I thought it was going to look like. Do you remember? Did you see the video when they did the? Um, they came out with the magic keyboard. Uh, for the iPad in March, you know, mm-hmm. the keyboard cover and you can snap it in. And then they, they, they had like a little video where they showed everybody. And then, and then they had a video of Craig Federighi somewhere in Apple park with the glass, you know, atrium behind him in the sunny area of Apple park mm. behind him, introducing it pre-filmed, obviously, you know, very professional looking sort of like what you would vaguely think, Craig Federighi in an office at Apple Park doing a commercial for the Magic Keyboard would look like. I, yeah. you know, I, I was like, I think that's what the whole keynote will be like. And I was a little off because I didn't, I didn't really foresee that they would actually shoot it in the Steve Jobs Theater, which is like the main staging ground for most of it. Um, but most people seem to think what they would do is just do it like a regular in-person keynote and just not have an audience or have an audience of Apple employees wearing masks and sparsely spread apart, which I was like, there's no way they're going to do that. A, it's illegal in California. I mean, mm-hmm. really, it's, it's you know, it, it just shows, again, that without getting political about it, how people in America, so many people don't understand the seriousness of the quarantine but even if it wasn't by the books illegal in Cupertino, California, to have people have your employees deem them essential to come in and clap, <laughs> uh, it's just bad optics. If you're trying to, you know, be on team, let's take this serious and truly, yeah. you know, isolate people and shoot this in the safest way possible. You can't do it, and having a truly empty audience and doing the keynote like just filming the day before rehearsal it would come across like death on video right like something that's meant to have an audience and applause can't just be photographed without the audience and applause it's it's just i I don't even know how to explain why that wouldn't work but it wouldn't work and of course that's not what they did it would have been like that do you remember the uh the rip mix burn commercial where the 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 kid sits in the audience and then invites all his favorite artists to come up on stage. I don't think I do. 
Oh yeah, this was uh, this is it was an iTunes commercial, and I and I want to say maybe two thousand two thousand one, and this teenage kid, who's the user, the Apple user, sits in the audience of a big you know classic theater, and then like George Clinton. Oh and yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know who else. You know, but yeah. you know, probably Smash Mouth or something. Uh, I'll come up on the stage because he's because he's putting together his uh, you know his playlist. George Clinton triggered it for me because he, yeah, he, he cuts a very distinctive figure. <laughs> yeah, right. There was only one Apple commercial with George Clinton, right? And it uh, cuts, you know. It, but uh, yeah, what they did was so super high production value. I mean, it's yeah. just it's crazy, and you know, and, and it's in contrast. It just is very Apple-y to do it that way, to take it as seriously as they can and not use this as an excuse to cut corners and sort of phone in the keynote, but to actually quite possibly put significantly more effort into the staging. I, you know, to be honest, oh, I guess yeah. they I did. Mean, it's incredible. It's a feat. It's, a, it's like an incredible feat what they pulled off. I don't know how how they did it but and I'm, I'm i'm actually looking at this uh the apple uh sorry the magic keyboard video that you referenced and interestingly enough it looks like a lot of the same setup except this one is 30 fr- i would say this is 30 frames per second yeah. the magic keyboard one and you can sort of see it the the, the subtle difference between the that and the dub dub keynote which I now I, I I'm pretty convinced is 24, but the lighting and the lensing and everything looks pretty similar. Yeah, that was my guess, uh, and I think it was sort of a dry run. But I do, but I also feel though that they they plussed it up a lot for the keynote and what that magic yeah. video looks like. Did you watch any just regular WWDC sessions? I didn't. Uh, but that that's what most a lot of them look like uh and and the sessions just you know are staged but they're not all in the same room either there's a tremendous yeah. amount of variety in where they shot them at Apple Park just to have the speakers in different backgrounds um yeah there's the funny the funniest part for me of the keynote was i don't know if you remember it but they when they um when they they cut from Craig to uh, like a drone fly, like some high speed drone flyovers of Apple Park, yeah. and then it's sort of like the camera goes into the fitness center, and you land. It sort of comes around the corner, and the funny the part that makes it funny is that they've got this very matrixy music, like you know, like that, like a high high speed action movie, and it comes around the corner and then just reveals, you know. Kevin Lynch, who is not an action hero right, right. <laughs> by any stretch. It was almost like a comic reveal, but I don't think right. it was intended to be. Right. Uh, but I, I, I kind of love that. I love that there was that amount of care and like sort of cinem- cinematic forethought into into every move, into every cut and like swish, you know, matching swish pans and all that and all that stuff. I just thought it was really excellent. And I tried to um I got in touch with the one person I know who's on the inside at the, you know, at Apple in the video, um, the video realm and tried to get some inside information. But but exactly what you said, they're being tight lipped about it, how it was actually executed. Yeah, which is kind of stinks because it it's my explanation for a lot of Apple's secrecy is 
it, it really comes down to the adage that you know how you create a culture of being able to keep a secret. You mm-hmm. you just don't talk about anything, <laughs> right? It's actually not that complicated, and it you know, and it's sort of like the the whole COVID nineteen thing. Like you know what the best thing we can do is? It sucks. It really sucks, but it's actually not complicated. Stay home. If you do go out, yeah. stay apart and wear a mask and wash your hands a lot. And it's yeah. like that actually would knock it out if everybody did it. So it's like they're, the basic idea that they've internalized is they do want to keep important strategic stuff or marketing stuff, right? Like they don't want to talk about products because they want to unveil them with a big surprise. And they don't want to talk about the things that they consider trade secrets to how they do what they do, but then that leads them to also be secretive about things that I don't think there's any even strategic value in being secret about. Right. But they, they just like, yeah, why take a chance? You know? So they don't want. Yeah. I mean, it could be really interesting and educational to a lot of people to learn how they pulled this off. Right. And I'm, I'm, I mean, some of it is obvious. They they obviously have one of the most beautiful campuses in the in the world as their soundstage, right? And um, you know they use pretty probably commonly available production gear and an actual crew. And then they like, you know, they did things that you wouldn't normally do in a in a in a live event, which is that they have it on they have the camera on a dolly or a slider, and they're just moving the slider back and forth because you know that keeps the the camera feeling alive and dynamic and that's almost like 101 film you know kickstarter filmmaking kind of stuff mm. um but then then you get into the question of whether they did any sort of live or or more um robust compositing of virtual elements against the live action people and that's where my mind started going and that's where it yeah. started to get interesting to me and i think you and i even probably texted about it, yep. which is do, how much, if any, of this environment that Craig is in for the main stuff is, um, is virtual. You're like, right. is it, is this the actual live set and every reflection and every, you know, piece of architectural detail is actually there and real, um, including the, the video display behind him. Cause I have no doubt that Apple probably has the display technology to, you know, throw um you know in real time throw incredible you know um augmented um visuals behind him like a concert or something but i don't think that that happened so i'm 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 thinking that at least that was composited behind him and uh which is interesting because then you see the reflections of the thing on the floor which helps sell the effect but then there's a world in which they did something sort of like the mandalorian which is not necessarily with, um, you know, what what Mandalorian did, which is w- the highest level of what's called virtual production, which is w- where the entire studio is is filled is surrounded by these LED displays, these um, really powerful, super bright LED displays that are rendering in real time what this in CG what the environment would be of the world they're shooting in, because then that ends up lighting the um, the characters in the foreground. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that that's what's going on because really the lighting setup for Craig or for any of the um, the quote unquote talent in in the keynote, the lighting is pretty simple. It's it's sort of like just overhead lighting, um, and it's like slightly directional and soft. 
So they wouldn't have to do anything fancy with interactive lighting, but they could have been on a green stage and, um, you know, like sort of the middle level of the of virtual production is where you're shooting against green with a live action performer and the camera moves around on a, on a crane or a dolly like it is in this. And the background is tracking in real time um, to, to, to that live action footage. And, um, you know, it's really not, it we architectural stuff and environments can be rendered so well with pretty democratized tools these days. Um, I even like I did a pro, like a design project in my backyard with a landscape company, and they used some software to render to, to pre-visualize what this design would look like in my in my backyard and with real, like off-the-shelf tools, and it looked so astoundingly real, like photo real, right? With lens flares and everything. So, I mean, there's a part of me that kind of wants to believe that this is how they did it, or at least part of it with this keynote. And if they didn't do it this time, then certainly they will in the future, or it's certainly like a lot of us in production will be doing stuff like that. Yeah, I, I think when you and I first started texting about it, we were specifically wondering if the displays, the big, you know, mostly black slide displays behind the presenters were really there. Right. And... You know, again, like you said, they certainly could. It would be well within their budget to do it and well within. And if that was the answer, if they decided this is what we want it to look like, what's the best way to make it look like it? And the answer was to do it practically. Let's put a real screen there. They would have done it. I mean, it's within certainly Apple would do it. Um, I mean, I've heard stories about the screen at the main screen in the Steve Jobs Theater where, you know, they had a fantastic screen and then they they replaced it, not because there was something wrong with the other screen, but that they already figured out that they could get a better screen and so they did. Like, they couldn't stand mm. not having the best screen they could possibly oh, have, wow. so they replaced it. And I'm sure, I guess somebody else could buy it. I don't know. Or if it's just... <laughs> Are you in the market? Yeah, just, you know, for a... Or just slice screen. it up into, you know, like a hundred pieces and, and right. send it out to your to the biggest supporters. Right. But um, they, I think they, the giveaway, they had sorry, it, but they had that screen. If it was practical, they had one behind Tim cook on the stage, which is permanent. So there's a real yeah. screen there. That's no problem. But then they had one out in what I call the hands-on area, which is underground, which is where we first, you pull out of the back of the theater yeah. and then there you're there in this big white circular room, um, which is lit from above by, by some natural light. And then they went up the stairs, you know, with the gag where Craig runs up the right. stairs. Where he runs, yeah. And that's where you're in what I, I – I don't know if they have official names for these rooms. I call that the atrium. It's like the uh -huh. lobby. You know, like they don't – like when you go to an event there, that area where you are surrounded by glass walls and you can see the, the actual park aspects of Apple's campus – you know, the grass and the trees and everything, it, that's just for mingling. Like, there's, that, there's nothing really there. So would they set up a screen there, too? Well, Apple might. But once you <laughs> put it in my head that maybe the screen wasn't there, I was like, whoa. And then, then you get into, wait, are they even there? Like, maybe <laughs> it's not just the screen, but are the presenters actually there? And it's not that the footage looks phony, it's that it looks so glossy and well produced that it's. I don't know how you would tell. 
Yeah, I don't know. Like the giveaway for the screen being a replaced screen is probably just how deep the blacks were behind right. him. Because right. you wouldn't you wouldn't really if you're photographing and exposing every other shadow the way they're exposed in this in in the footage, then you wouldn't be able to underexpose the the screen that that deep. Right. So that's probably why I would I would I would vote for that the screen was all replaced, and then they don't have to pre-program. Uh, and live, you know, live display everything timed to his performance. Cause I don't think that that's in, that's definitely not any um, breezy task either is getting all of these non-professional actors to do that much dialogue. Obviously they have teleprompters and stuff, but just the, the, the inordinate number of takes that they must do to get each line in the script for a, what is essentially a feature length um, presentation. And I know that even for a normal keynote that they rehearse a lot like that's another one of those very simple answers to a very seemingly very complex question of how do they put out these polished keynotes and it's rehearse 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 um but i can't help but think that like uh, however much time craig federighi spends preparing and rehearsing for a regular wwdc keynote he'd spent more time on this because it, yeah. it's just the production aspects of it are just on top of however much content he's delivering, which is the same or more, you know, the the actual mechanics of doing the production are more complicated. Yeah, but then the how, moves and I, you know, I, I guess on the, my list, I always come up with, you know, and I don't know, that, again, it falls under things they probably don't want to talk about, but how in the world are you still do, doing your job which I'm, I really have a good sense is probably keeps him busy as the yeah. senior vice president of all software yeah. that they're yeah. producing. Uh, well, this is interesting. Yeah, this is, it's an interesting point because I don't know if you picked if if you had the same um, you know feeling, but later on in the keynote when he gets to the macOS stuff, to me that's where he feels most comfortable, and I don't know if that's because of the history his history of the actual his actual day job mm. you you would know more about this than me but um everything leading up to that all the ios stuff and uh, the other platforms felt more like showmanship to him mm-hmm. and then when to me when it gets into the mac os that's where he feels like he's speaking his native language i don't know that i ever thought of that directly but i i agree with you in thinking about it. And I think you're exactly right. Why is that he is a tremendous stage presence. He's, you know, very, let's just face it. He's a handsome son of a bitch. Uh, <laughs> and he has a great voice and, and a very wide stance. And a, he just is, you know, he's very good on camera and he's good on stage, but yeah. he's good on stage for someone who is an incredibly competent and unbelievably deeply knowledgeable uh, software executive. I mean, yeah. like I, I mean, in his multiple appearances on my show. I mean, my favorite was the one a couple years ago where we went into the um, differential privacy aspects mm-hmm. um, and the it, explaining the sort of com, you know, the way that the encryption and can be used to 
aggregate the collection of data for the good of all users, but in a way that isn't just take our word for it privacy, but is like mathematically provable privacy right. that we, we can't make a bug or have an error or have a, you know, like Twitter, have a controls panel where there's a switch that some doofus or, you know, crook with a hundred dollar bill slipped in his pocket can uncheck to mm-hmm. reveal the address of the user who submitted this information thinking it was going to be submitted privately. His explanation for how that worked is like, I can't believe, you know, that, you know, that you just have this on the tip of your tip of your mind. Right. Yeah. Incredibly smart dude. That was before right. they went, the, they went to San Jose, right? That was yeah. when you're still in San Francisco. I think it was, yeah. I think that was the last one in San Francisco. Right. Um, yeah. And he really, I mean, he really knows it. I mean, it really, I mean, it's like he knows this stuff and it's like all the way across the board of everything Apple is doing and, you know, the graphic stuff and he can speak at length at all of that. And yet he's got time to, to, <laughs> to star in a movie. It's Yeah. Well, I think that they all know, including all the, uh, you know, senior execs and everything, they all know that this is part of the job. This is sort right. of what you sign up for when you're Apple um, leadership. Right. Is that it's you're you're an evangelist and not not just in a trade show kind of way, but it really you rep in a in a global way. You represent the the products you're working on to the world, which makes me. I mean, obviously they're all working executives in in the technology industry, so they can't be expected to be brilliant um, presenters. I do wish that they would sort of shake up the cadence, the Apple presentational cadence, a little bit. Um, uh, and not feel the pressure to maybe like reproduce or mimic the, you know, the standard. If you do, does that make sense? What I'm saying that sort of like, we can't wait to show you what we're working on. And that's, you know, FaceTime, you know, like that cadence that, that they all kind of like, it's almost like in an, in, um, they're doing it because they they feel like that's the only solution, but there are, well, first of all, going back to Steve and his presentational style was not that at all. Um, right. We, Claude and JP and I, uh, who worked for me, we were re- just this last weekend, we, um, we watched, uh, the G4 cube, um, keynote mm-hmm. and we're just marveling at, uh, how natural and, unrehearsed um and unscripted steve seems and we were just you know just kind of like all of our our hearts sort of went you know like kind of exploded a little bit when we watched that and just remembering where we were at the time but but also like it was the antithesis of this extremely meticulously composed um uh you know just style of speech and presentation that Mm. they have now but there are a few. I don't know. I took note of a few of the um, outliers um, in the in the whole cast of characters that presented. And like, um, I don't know if you remembered um, Vera Carr, but she's the uh, the health software manager. She's she's sort of in a yoga position. Oh yes, on, yeah, on yeah. the floor. Yeah, she was awesome. Like she just came off as very natural and and looked and sounded great. Um, in her environment, and then um, yeah, the guy I, in the home, I, the, in the living room too, Yak Kaysen, I yeah. think the home kit guy was awesome. I what I remember about Vera Carr was that she felt very natural, but also it what was more striking about that was that it also seemed like she was in the most unnatural position of any of them, <laughs> right? Yes, <laughs> yeah, 
You know what I mean? Um, which is good. Which is good. I mean, from a directorial standpoint, sometimes you, that, sometimes that's what you do yeah. to shake somebody out of their complacency. Um, yeah, I do think, and it it is an interesting thing from a film school perspective of sort of uh, what's the word de, de, deconstruct deconstructing mm-hmm. the the Apple keynote style. That they went from the Steve notes to where they are now without any sort of needle on a record scratching. And here's <laughs> where Steve left, right? Yeah. You know, there was never any sort of, oh, as soon as he left, they got different. They evolved to this sort of platonic ideal of the modern post Steve Jobs keynote. Right. Um, One of the ones that really sticks out to me in terms of like, you know, and it's that whole slow boiling frog phenomenon, which I, whenever I mention is actually not true that if you put frogs (laughs) in a pot and slowly boil it, they will jump out. They're like, ah, shit. Ah." (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it's just like when you're in a hot tub and it's like if somebody does have it too hot it's like you you know you're like hey turn that down and then if nobody turns it down you do get out <laughs> you know <laughs> but it is a useful analogy and people you know what i'm talking about and i the thing i always bring it up with is whenever i try a new iphone and i you know like the you know idiot tech reviewer that i am i get to review one every year i never really notice that the new one's faster until like 10 days after I start using it and I put it down and go back to my year one year old <laughs> I personal iPhone because I you know I've got the review one you know 10 days before they come out so I I don't own a new one yet and I go back to my old one and then I'm like oh this it's like a little slower like I can tell when I'm typing on the thumb keyboard you know wow you know and every year it's the same and every year I can tell it's a little faster but it, you know Five, six, seven, eight years ago, it was even more noticeable year over year. But it's always when you go back. And I think when you go back to older keynotes, you can see the difference a lot more than when as we go forward. And the one that sticks out to me is the greatest keynote of all time, the one that everybody always wanted, then it was happened, and then everybody wants it to happen again, which was the unveiling of the iPhone, right? Everybody always wanted a keynote where Apple... It shows us something that seems not just too good to be true a little bit, but like this can't possibly be real. People are passing out in the aisles like a, you know, you know, preacher thing where they're taking demons out of you. People are fainting, gasping, uh, (laughs) you know, the Blackberry rivals hold a meeting the next day and conclude that the whole thing, believe it or not, must be a fraud because there's no way that they could be, that this could be a real device. Uh, that keynote. But when you actually rewatch that whole keynote, not just the clips of Steve Jobs unveiling the phone, but watch the whole thing, it's paced so bizarrely by modern standards. He just comes out and like does like, let's do an update on iTunes. And I forget what it is first. I don't even remember. But it's like, there's like 20 to 30 minutes of just like crazy, just run of the mill stuff. Yeah. Before he well, which which we which we had patience for back then, right? You know, you know, which in the same way that 
um, a, a late night talk show could be Dick Cavett and like 15 second pauses in between a question and an answer and, and people smoking cigarettes. We just had patience in ways that we don't have patience these, these days. And that's why this kind of like modern day format for the keynote makes more sense. It does make more sense. And there's an absolute, if they had, let's just say, you know, that the, they've got AR goggles and that they're, they know it, they've, they're in the lab and the people work, maybe there's some of the same people even, right. It hasn't been that long, same people. And they've got that sense that this is this is the iPhone again, right? These goggles are way beyond mm. what people are thinking. Um, you know, like people think you're just going to put glasses on and in the corner of your eye, it'll tell you what the air temperature is, you know? And if you mm. get a text mm. message, there's a notification at the top. And that's what everybody thinks. In the way that everybody thought in 2006 that they were going to make an iPod that can make phone calls, <laughs> right? Yeah. And instead they had the iPhone. Maybe the goggles are that good. Yeah. There is no oh, way that they God. would announce that like they announced the iPhone. It's <laughs> it just no. it just would be such a totally different event. It it would be it it would be tasteful. So I was going to use the word bombastic and that's not right cuz bombastic implies a sort of crassness. It, but it would be I don't know. It, it would be dramatic in a way yeah. that this wasn't dramatic. Like I, I just well, can't what, emphasize. What, <laughs> I, I think that Steve's 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 gift what I mean of many was to shape a narrative. Like right. to frame a piece of technology in a narrative involving all of technology. And I think that that's why the iPhone introduction made such beautiful um, evolutionary sense in the way that it did. And you watch this keynote, you know, I mean, obviously this is dub dub. This is, this is not a product announcement type of a keynote, but, um, I, I feel like if they're, if they're honoring, um, Steve and the story that is Apple, then they're going to figure out how to frame the new device, whatever it is in the context of an, an entire history of Apple and, and of tech in general. Yeah. I wonder if this quarantine-induced novel new keynote might not. I know a lot of people are wondering if if Apple liked it enough that maybe they're always going to do virtual WWDCs again, mm -hmm. quarantine or not. And I can kind of see it from the, uh, you know, I think the keynote, I don't. I think that they like the crowd and they like doing it on stage. Yeah. Um, so I don't see them doing away with that for everything. For the actual conference, for developers and the presentations, I could see that. Um, I The sessions I've watched so far are so they're, – they're always good. And again, and, and it's always very cool because the people – this is just – I mean this is – as long as there's been WWDC, the people doing the presentations are the people responsible for the work, right? Like they don't have like mm -hmm. a presentation team and, you know, Joe and Kate from the presentation team are told, okay, you're going to do the new, you know, text editing for right, right yeah, to left hired, languages. Hired t talent. Yeah. Right. They're the actual engineers who worked on this new thing. And it's always very cool. And sometimes the enthusiasm really spills over and really helps polish over the fact that they're not professional presenters. It's because, hey, you know, 
they've been working on this thing for three years and it's it wasn't even there even in their wildest dreams wasn't going to be in the keynote because it's super technically nerdy type thing um you know wwdc sessions are full of stuff like that but the people watching the session are self-selective the only people who are going to watch the session on a new right to left language api uh or you know something that'll let you write swift ui code that will run both on a watch and on the phone um and on the iPod, uh, iPad, and on the Mac, and holy crap, it's one UI system for all that, blah, blah, blah. The only people who are going to watch that are the people who want to use it, right? That's, they're speaking to their people. It's all very cool, but I think that letting them pre-record it in a in, – it would only be better without quarantine where they don't have to worry about on set all of the precautions that have to be done. It would be so much more comforting for them to have a normal set where people can come up and, and fix their hair, you know, and, and just, you know I mean? You do, you you see this a thousand times uh, every single day that you're in production is somebody will go up and say, Hey, you know what? His collar is not right. And then fix the collar, (laughs) get the hair. And you can't do that with the quarantine, right? It's, or you got to, you know, no, we literally on our, on the thing we just shot, which was our first thing back on a small set was we, we couldn't have hair and makeup because that person would have to be too close to people. Right. So it would only be better, but then it takes away the thing that was so palpable to me watching the sessions I've watched is that the stage fright being in front of 500 live people in front of you, or even if it's a smaller session, a hundred people, it's just people who I get nervous and I do talks every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Somebody who's never spoken in front of 300 people before, you're going to be nervous, right? It, it That nerves is all out of there. And I think that the sessions, I, I've ne- I didn't see anybody who thought otherwise every single comment I've seen on the sessions themselves this year was that it was better and more palatable and more enjoyable and more informative to watch. And the other thing that they did, which was really awesome in the physical conference of WWDC there, it's like, it's like scheduling TV. You've got half hour blocks mm-hmm. uh, and you can have an hour session or a half hour session but there's WWDC videos this year that are like 13 minutes because it's you have 13 minutes worth of stuff, do a 13-minute video. And there's no reason to pad it out to 30 or say we can't really do this at WWDC because it doesn't fill a 30-minute slot, you know. Yeah. Oh, that's it's, so fascinating. Right? I, I'm so glad it worked out. Yeah. I, I, I love it. All right. Let me take one last break here. Thank our good friends at Linode, L-I-N-O-D-E. I used to think it was pronounced Linode because that's what it looks like, but it's not. It's Linode because uh, it's like a node that hosts Linux. But I used to also think Linux was Linux. Um, so it really anything, it really just goes to show that anything I can mispronounce, I will. Um, <laughs> but what Linode is, is world-class hosting for servers. Uh, literally, that is where I host Daring Fireball. Couldn't be happier with them really love the service. I love everything about it. I even love the control panel. It's, it's set up. It's so nice and easy for even a dingbat like me who should not be allowed near the controls of a server can see it and understand what's going on. They've got 11 data centers worldwide, enterprise-grade hardware, their next-generation network. Uh, it's all just excellent. It, it, but the servers around the world, 
it's important. Maybe you've got something that you want to be as close as possible. Keep the keep the latency down. Maybe for legal reasons, like some kind of HIPAA type thing or wherever you are, you've got to store your records in a certain country. You can do that with Linode. Um, really, that's super useful. Uh, they've got plans that start at just five bucks a month. And it's really a useful plan. I think, ah, the $5 a month plan, what the hell are you going to do with that? There's an awful lot of uses for having your own server where their $5 nanode plan is all you need. Super useful, super fun. Uh, Everything from work, hosting something like your website, like I do with Daring Fireball or database type thing or hosting an API or doing something that's real serious and you're getting paid to do it or something fun like hosting a Minecraft server for your kids um, or you. Super fun, super easy to do and they make it really easy to install stuff like serious software for work like WordPress or fun stuff like Minecraft. All of it, easy to install all through their cloud manager you get root access. It's all serious. It's all anything you want to do that would, you know, involve pseudoing. You can do it. Uh, if you don't even know what pseudo is, they'll, you know, you don't have to worry about it. Uh, they've got an API and a $20 discount by using the code TALKSHOW20, T-A-L-K-S-H-O-W-2-0. $20 credit. They've got the $5 a month plan. That means you get four months free, four months, just by using the code. Uh, they're also hiring, still hiring. They're always hiring. Uh, Linode.com slash careers. Find out more if you're like a system administrator type or anybody who, if, if you have career aspirations that involve working for Linode, you know it. But go check it out. It's a great place to work. They've actually got their headquarters here in Philadelphia, but you don't have to be here to work for them. Anyway, go to linode.com slash the talk show that's how you know you came from here linode.com slash the talk show and when you sign up remember that code talk show 20 that'll save you the uh, 20 bucks my thanks to linode for sponsoring the show um the last thing i wanted to talk to you about and i think i i, I don't even know who else in the repertoire of friends and guests I've had on the show who I would who I would love to hear thoughts on this enough. You've already changed my mind in the last 24 <laughs> hours on some of this. <laughs> Are the sounds in Mac OS X Big Sur. Um, yeah. So for the first time in a very long time, maybe some of these sounds are like back to classic Mac OS, like Sosumi. Uh, mm-hmm. For all of the visual changes that Mac OS X just to use the original name and carry it through through OS 10 and Mac OS and everything. But what we now call Mac or Mac OS was OS 10 and before that was Mac OS 10. The sounds like for like the default alerts and what happens when you move something to the trash haven't really changed in a very long time and they didn't big sir. And people have strong feelings about these sounds. <laughs> And and what what are your strong feelings? Well, so there's two sets, and I've got these videos. Uh, I'm not even sure. What do you think? Should we play them on the show? I think maybe we should. It's like it seems like if you're listening to a podcast, you should be able to hear them. Yeah, that makes sense. Or uh, or or Caleb can cut them in. 
Hey, interlude here. I'm going to play the sound effects from Big Sur that Adam and I are going to be talking about. You can hear them right here in your own ears, and then you'll know what we're talking about. Um, so there's two sets. First are the system sounds, which are for events like moving something to the trash or taking a screenshot. And then there are the alerts, which are just the sounds you can pick for the system beep. Uh, I'll run through them all. I'll introduce them. But in both cases, we'll play the Catalina Mac OS 10.15 version first, and then the new Mac OS 11 Big Sur sound second. But the Catalina ones are really the same going back, like, seriously, like 20 years. But um, I think these are all taken from Catalina. So first, we have the system sounds, and we have uh, sending something to the trash, Emptying the trash. Moving a file or folder. And taking a screenshot. Which is the most interesting change. Okay, now, the alerts. So I'm going to give them... They all have new names, so I'll just give you the names. The names are Catalina... Uh, classic old school Mac OS first, and then the new name for the corresponding sound from Big Sur second. We've got Tink and Boop, Blow and Breeze, Pop and Bubble, Glass and Crystal, Funk and Funky. Hero and Heroin. Frog and Jump. Basso and Mezzo. Bottle and Pebble. Purr and Pluck. Morse and Pong. Ping and sonar. Submarine and submerge. And last, slightly out of alphabetical order, the one sound that didn't change name for good reason, Sosumi and Sosumi. And my thought at first was I like all the new alert sounds, like the beeps you pick from. Um, and I didn't like the system sounds, like the trash and the, the screenshot. And you you said you liked them. And I was like, see, you know, that, 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 that threw me off. That made me see. And I'm, you know, this is, I've, I've got a big, a big open mind. I thought, yeah. well, I trust Adam. Let me let me think about this, and I tried <laughs> to live with it a little more. And I think you're right. I think they're I think they're good. That's that's nice to hear. I think that yeah. I mean, obviously, there's going to be resistance to anything that 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 um, swaps out something that you're so well used to and have such an impossibly emotional attachment to. But I always kind of hate it, and I'll just take as the very basic, like the the trash can and the empty trash sound right. um, from the system. I 
for step one, I've, you know, some of our friends probably said, said this too. step one of a new Mac is you turn off that, you turn off those system sounds. Um, cause they're, I don't know. They're, they're uh, like a little bit showy. They're a little bit, um, what's, what's the word? Like, I want to say aggressive or sharp. They like, they want to draw attention to themselves. They don't, they don't feel, um, feng shui. They don't feel like they're supposed to like live comfortably in the environment of the user experience. But these new ones feel just like that little extra bit softer and comfortable and, um, not disruptive, um, to me, but still representing the things that they are with the exception of the, of the, the screen cap one, the screenshot mm. sound, which is something new, but you know, it, it, it's an interesting discussion because we, you know, we were talking about uh, this a little bit, um, offline, but, um, this idea that sound effects can be skeuomorphic or not as well. Right. Um, that, and, and that's know, exempl- exemplified by the screenshot. Yeah, absolutely. By the screenshot, which is, you know, with the, they wanted to make, it's very much like the save icon being a disc, a floppy disc. They wanted to make the sound of a screen capture, like a camera shutter clicking and saving an image, um, which makes sense, you know, conceptually, but do we really need that anymore? Especially when the association of a shutter sound is now just referential to itself. It doesn't refer to a camera that any of us own. Right. Um, uh, so uh, if you if you can sort of redefine that and, uh, you know, self-define a shutter sound as something new that's like almost more digital or bloopy sounding, then why not take that opportunity if it's like a once in a decade thing? It's funny to imagine an alternate universe where the sounds changed as frequently and dramatically as the UI theme of Mac OS X, but the UI yeah. theme hadn't changed at all. Maybe other than going retina, which I think even in the alternate universe would have had to happen. But like, imagine a world where until a month ago, Mac OS still looked like the candy aqua Mac OS 10.0 from 2002 <laughs> with the stripes and the, the lollipop looking red, yellow, green, all the buttons. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And it never but changed. But just higher res. But the <laughs> sounds, awesome. the sounds changed every four years, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> all of a sudden in June they unveiled Big Sur. And it looks like what Big Sur looks like. I think yeah. people would have lost. I think people's heads would have exploded. It's kind of hard to imagine, you know. Um, yeah, and I and and be, I mean the very basic answer is because the sounds aren't as important as the visuals, right? Right. right. Yeah. Nobody, you know, people say turn off the sounds. First thing you do is turn off. Nobody says first thing you do is turn off your display. <laughs> right? It just it doesn't work. Yeah, um, use but the it, terminal. It's just as good. All right. So the the alerts, I, I think they, they all sound better. I don't think any of them is worse. I guess a uh, friend of the show, I think uh, Maltz, we're on a Slack. That's what we're talking about. We're on a Slack yeah. where we talk. And uh, I think Maltz thinks that the Breeze one sounds like a windows sound but it doesn't sound Mm. bad um but i think it's interesting that they all have parallels you know that there were the old alerts and now each one there's like a one-to-one correlation between the old and the new and i have to admit big dummy that i am and overwhelmed by all of the new stuff in big sur i didn't even notice that at first that it's one-to-one 
And then it's like, well, how did you not notice that? You know, because like the one is, you know, like the names are, you know, like ping is now sonar and, uh, uh, submarine is now submerge. I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of obvious, but yet I missed it. Uh, yeah, I the think first, the first sound in in Mac in the Mac OS that I noticed was the startup sound, which is right. you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but there hadn't been a startup sound in the last. It, it they got away you know? from it. They I think yeah. I think starting and again I could get it wrong, but it almost doesn't matter what the technical explanation. But I think it started with the ones that have the T2 chip for security stopped, uh. including the boot sound by default, and then there was a secret scary pseudo command you could issue at the command line which is seriously scary because it's like you're actually using a command that like changes the firmware in your computer Mm. and so yeah you use everybody just copies and pastes it but it's like you kind of have to trust who you're copy and pasting that you're not like (laughs) rendering your mac unable to boot yeah Um, well you could turn it back on but now they've yeah and and in this in big sur in the beta at least there's there's now i mean by default a startup and I know that only because a half hour before we started recording, I finally got the beta to install so that we'd have something to talk about. <laughs> and then so I, I turned it on and, and it and I heard the startup sound for the first time, which has it's very similar to the to the prior one that yeah. except that it's got a much softer um timbre and a much softer attack. Like the the ramp up to the beginning in the beginning of the sound is a little bit of a ramp. So it's it's a little bit more like and which for for me right away uh drew a, uh an association with the HBO mm. you know network tone or whatever the promo yeah. tone which is a nice sound it's great um so i i don't mind that at all you what you want is that you what i think what you want in a sound more than anything else is if your volume is turned all the way up on accident and everybody in your home is asleep <laughs> and you and you do something in your computer and it barks, you know, with a sound effect, like you throw something in the trash, you don't want it to wake everybody up or you don't want to at least have to clench your butt <laughs> because you're worried <laughs> that it, and those, like some of these sounds like the glass or the, you know, like the, the just very cavernous metallic throwing something away or the crinkle, the, the Pringles, uh, you know, when you, when you empty the trash. Those are harsh, harsh sounds. Those are waking your family up. They're not going to be happy. <laughs> I do, I do wonder. Um, well, you know what? I have to mention this because I know I've gotten so many emails over it. And I've never actually mentioned it, but there's a lot of people who think that the Apple TV Plus promo sound, whatever. I, I thought mm-hmm. I was hoping you would know what those things are called. You know, I like every streaming service has their own distinctive thing like the hbo one or netflix is to done um yeah i think that i've always called them as logo tones or like like promo tones but logo tones because when like when the um iphone first let you make your own ringtones i made i made ringtones out of all of those like old school network tones well let's make let's make logo tones a thing that's our that's our mission everybody listening that's our mission is to get these things called logo tones because that's what they are. They're audio logos, right? That you can, you can't, you're not even looking at the screen, but if your friend or partner or kid 
starts playing something, you know if it's on Netflix because it starts, you, you have your back to the TV, but you hear the sound and you know, bum bum, it's on Netflix. Right. So it's a logo the, town. Yeah, and they, they, I just found the Apple one. It's the, um, if you search for Apple TV Plus logo HD, it's it's kind of like a a single tone of like piano with a bass. Yeah, there's people who think it's they there's but there's people who think that's the Mac startup chime and it's not. It is. It's in the vein of it, and I kind of wonder if there wasn't at least some deliberate homage or I don't know, but it's definitely not it, and it surprises me that some people think it is. And I think if you heard them back to back, you'd say, "Oh yeah, that's not the same thing at all." But it's (laughs) it it's familiar enough that you might you know i I can see why people think it but not if you actually listen to it side by side but anyway anyway if you get a new mac now i guess start i don't know if you have to wait for big sur or not but apparently the startup sounds are coming back for all macs by default which i think is the right way to do it and i know that this is polarizing because i've mentioned this uh i get it why your phone when you power off your phone and start up your phone it doesn't make a noise but your Mac is not your phone. It's different. It, your Mac, I don't know. There's something about it, and maybe it is just uh, nostalgia, but I think your Mac, if it's powered off, when you power it on, it should make a noise. And if you work in an environment, and this is the, what you hear from, and I'm going to hear from it just by saying this right now, there are people who work in environments where any noise is unwelcome, and they've had at least one unfortunate circumstance where the computer locked up or they had to restart it after installing something or something and they did it and it made a noise and they were embarrassed and they were very happy that Apple did away with it. But Yeah. I, as long as you can easily mute it or, or, or yeah. disable it, then I'm, I'm good. Do you remember this? Um, it was – I'm looking on YouTube. It was 13 years ago. But um, like a hidden camera – prank video in a library where the, a guy uh, turns on his laptop and the the startup chime goes off um but it, and it's very loud like they had they had some hidden speakers or something it's very loud and it lasts like easily 60 seconds and no. people keep oh my god i'll send it to you, I'll send right, it you to gotta you right now it. so good yeah <laughs> i'll put it in the show notes <laughs> okay <laughs> Here's so you like the new sounds too, and you know which one in particular you've totally you've made me go from why did they do this, why are they ruining my life to okay, I actually am with Adam. I think this is smart. Is the screenshot one, yeah, um, and it shouldn't be a camera, and it's not just the phasing out of clickety clack cameras, and the fact that have you seen? I mean, I don't know. I know you shoot with really you know, serious big boy cameras, but uh, a lot of like prosumer cameras have like the option to have a fake shutter sound. <laughs> which sure. Yeah. I really don't get, I mean, and I guess I get in the sense that, well, if a screenshot on a computer makes an old timey shutter camera sound, why wouldn't a camera camera have the option of doing it digitally? But to me, that was always the absolute worst part of cameras is that they made this noise and distracted people. If you're trying to shoot, you know, uh, not surreptitiously like a creeper, but uh, ca- ca- <laughs> casually at an event and just capture people without making them self-conscious and just sort of capture this and having this big, loud click-clack was not good. And then when you're, whenever you're watching a professional media event, 
and there's the nonstop stream of people with digital SLRs that actually have the, still have the mirror and they have these giant CF cards that can shoot an infinite number of images and they just hold down the shutter and it's, it, it really sounds like an attack of some sort, like a, like a machine gun Nerf gun is going. It doesn't sound like a gun gun, but it sounds like some kind of, you know, I don't know. It just always sounds like like the photographers are attacking the subject. Yeah, um, very aggressive. And why? It just is so frustrating at this point. Like when it was technically necessary, it was one thing. But we know that we can make truly excellent cameras that don't make any physical noise. So why not? It would be so create such a more pleasant moment if everybody just agreed not to use cameras that have mirrors. Um, so I get it. And I actually like, I like the new screenshot and it's something yeah. that happened. And this is where I'm getting it. The, the question I have for you is where do you draw the line for which events in the, in the user interface make a noise and which ones don't. Right. Yeah, I think it's just, if you need feedback to know that it worked, that's, right. I feel like that's the whole point of a, of a UI sound right. is if you, if it doesn't make a sound, or there's not some sort of a tactile feedback, then you wonder you're you're stuck with that nanosecond of an, anxi- of an anxiety where it didn't do the thing you needed it to do. Yeah, and I think that's why I leave them on, you know. And I, I mm-hmm. you know, as a self-professed you know expert user, I still use it. I don't I don't really move that many files to the trash. I don't empty my trash very often, so it's not like I'm constantly badgered with. The, the sound of things being rattled around the fake trash can, but I kind of like the confirmation of it. And and for a screenshot, it's it's almost like a warning too, right? It's not just confirmation that you took the screenshot, but it's like a warning in case you did it by accident that hey, you know, whatever you were doing just got screenshotted. You should be aware, yeah. you know, you should be aware of it. Maybe warning isn't the right word, but sort of a just like hey, you know, just so you know whatever you're doing is just been captured to an image. Yeah. In, in, in in iOS 14, I installed, installed the beta last night of, uh, of iOS for iOS 14. And I discovered a system sound that is the first time that I think I will ever leave a system sound on, which is, um, and I don't know what you call it. It's like a push pop. Is that, what do you call it? Where you, you click, you tap hold on a link and it pops up a, you know, you know, like long where, press. I, like, um, I don't know, three D long press. press. Yeah, you long yeah. long press on a link, and it and it pops up a preview. Yeah, and when you do that in iOS fourteen, it vibrates. It just and then I'll, and I'll try to hold it up to the mic right now, so you can maybe hear it. But did you hear that? Yeah, yeah, that yeah. little tick. Yeah, it's just a. It's barely audible, but and I think that the reason I'll leave it on is because if I did that in a very silent room. Nobody would ever think that that was that that came out of my phone. It could right. have easily just been like a, my bone cracking or something like that, or the chair. Um, and, but it's that extra little bit of uh, audible slash tactile um, feedback or haptic feedback that makes me know that I'm that I just interacted with with a piece of software in an interesting way. Yeah, it's it's not quite haptic. It's but it is sensory, right? It right. That's what it is, and. I do feel that Apple is sort of it's an interesting walk back where Apple has sort of introduced all of this pressure sensitive stuff that they called force touch on some devices and 3D touch on others and it's all sort of going away 
apparently the watch uh OS six or whatever version the new one is seven or seven uh has deprecations about assuming that three d touch or force touch or whatever it's called on the watch is going to be there, which has everybody you know i think rightly so thinking that the either the next watches this year or the ones next year aren't going to do away with that um hmm. you know and the phones already did it and it was sort of painful because it's it, in some ways the experience took a hit because being able to just force touch the, the shortcut i used all the time was being able to force touch on the keyboard and turn it into a trackpad for the cursor and you can still get it, but you like long press on the space bar or below the space bar, which is a nice trick on the iPhone 10 that you don't even have to hit the space bar. Exactly. You can go below it. But like the fact that you have to like press and wait is like, and I think they've dialed in the weight to like an exquisitely perfect number of milliseconds where Mm. you don't get it by accident, but it's the minimum weight they could possibly do. So it's as fast as it can possibly be without being accidentally triggerable, but it still Mm. isn't as cool as being able to just press hard and have it right away. Like I still feel like I'm now all of a sudden I'm faster than my phone, which is ridiculous because I'm a very slow person. Mm. Um, uh, Related. I, and again, on our Slack, our friend, uh, uh, John Syracuse, I'll just call him out by name, vehemently opposed to the keyboard clicks on the iPhone <laughs> yeah, keyboard. Yeah. I like, like them. Like, I keep like them on. <laughs> and to me, yeah. to me, the ringer switch on the phone, I don't really think of it as a ringer switch. I think of it as a keyboard click switch um, mm-hmm. because I will turn it off. You know when okay, it, when it's always appropriate. You know, generally appropriate not to have your phone ringing and beeping and booping and bopping. But I like to turn it on when I'm writing. If I'm going, if I'm going to like do some email or like extensive texting with somebody on my phone, I'll flip it up, and so that when I'm typing, I can hear the taps. But I have to immediately yeah. tap it off if I'm anywhere near my wife because she'll she drives her bonkers. Drives her bonkers. Great. That's great. You need that feedback, and it's yeah. good to that's good to know that kind of thing I've, about yourself. <laughs> I don't think I I I know. I bet that if you secret cameraed me and stopwatched it. I don't type faster or more accurately with the clicks, but I feel like I type more accurately and faster with the clicks. And that's really all that matters. I would actually keep doing it. Even if your stopwatch secret camera footage of me proved the opposite, that I actually am more effective without it, without the clicks, because I, it, it matters more to me that I feel like I'm productive. Right. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. It's all emotional. U- UI yeah. is definitely emotional. Or, um, so I'm going to say one more thing that I just thought of about the system, about the new sounds. All right. Um, in, in terms of like uh, evolution of sound design. And I think it's this. I think that the future of this type of, of human computer, in, uh, what's the I stand for? Interaction. Interaction. Yeah is going to resemble augmented reality more and more than it, you know, as opposed to less like AR wasn't a trend. And I think that that goes for visuals as well as sounds um, where we're going to become more used to the idea that, um, you know, 
digital visual stuff is it has to blend in with our environments for obvious reason you know if the glasses are a real thing then yes visual digital stuff is going to blend in in our environments and track to the environments so that's sort of a no-brainer but i think it's interesting to think about sounds the same way um and i even think that you know the first generation of air uh airpods what was striking to me was that they sort of you know because they let a certain amount of sound in to your eardrums it always felt to me like an overlay of sound rather than a replacement of sound, right. which is how I prefer to experience, you know, sound through, through headphones or whatever. I don't want to be isolated or noise, noise cancellation or anything. So I, I, I like to think of sound in that, in that way of augmented um, rather than replacing or, or like a, you know, VR type of sound. So um, I think that these new sounds that I'm hearing from the system and the alert sound in Big Sur are meant are like sort of like engineered or sound designed to augment um, sound around us rather than replace it. Mm. And that's the last thing I'll say about that. Do you have iAirPods Pro or do you still have the? the no, I don't because I really do like my AirPods. I've right. always been sort of a, um, I don't know, like middle, like a com, like a well, I forget middling taste of of like headphones and stuff. Like I, I, I loved the, the wired earbuds that came with the iPhone and the iPods for so many years. And I love the first generation, second generation of AirPods. So I don't really feel like I, for that same reason, I don't want to replace what's around me. I just want to augment it. Yeah. I, I have the pro, I would say for anybody who still has the regular ones and you're thinking about the pro, if you like, if you're like you, like I would say to you, don't even worry about it. You're, if you like your regular AirPods, you're good. If you, you know, and to me, the big area where I love the noise canceling on the AirPods Pro is being on an airplane or a train. Yeah. And I uh, guess who hasn't been on an airplane or a train in four and a half months? <laughs> um, when I'm out on the street here in Philly, I always have my AirPods Pro in whatever they call pass-through mode where yeah. it's not noise canceling. A, I'm scared of the noise canceling as a pedestrian. I, I genuinely worry about I, I feel like I'm lucky enough when I don't have any headphones in at all that I don't get hit by a car. <laughs> but yeah. uh, I, I like all of these extra... I like to use as many of my senses as possible to avoid getting hit by a car or, or anything untoward like that. But I also just like it. I, I just prefer it. I just like to be part of the world. I don't want to cancel out stuff like that. And with the AirPods Pro, it really is like it turns the whole world into AR for audio where that's the trick is like so like and for me as a pedestrian, all this, all of my use cases involve being a pedestrian in a center city, Philadelphia. So like a bus goes by. Well, a bus is very noisy. Um and you hear the bus when you're with AirPods Pro in pass-through mode. But unlike regular AirPods where the pass-through is the actual sound of the bus, it's virtual. And it knows to turn it down. So you know the bus is going by, but it doesn't mean you have to, like, pause the podcast you're listening to, wait for the bus, and then hit play <laughs> to or go back yeah. 15 seconds. It turns the bus down to a level where you doesn't keep you from continuing to hear the podcast you're listening to That's which is so awesome it blows me away every time it happens yeah. i i'm blown away because i'm like you know for years uh you know and even going back to wired earbuds every single time a bus or truck went by me while i was out in the city i would have to go back 15 seconds to hear what the hell <laughs> i just missed on the podcast and yeah. now i don't have to do that and it blows me away 
Yeah, that's just super, super cool, smart engineering. I love it. All right, last question, and then we're done on this subject. Why do movies still have when you're when somebody's using a computer in a movie? Does it make ridiculous sounds for everything? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. When I, mean, I thought this was the thing. Here's what I thought. I thought. As like when I was in my 20s and this was still happening, I was like, well, wait until my generation is making the movies and is in charge of things and we'll finally get done with this. Right. Nope. No, because I mean, sound designers have to reinforce the idea of the world that's being captured on camera. Like that they're there. It's not meant to be the most realistic Although I'd argue that when devices, when when hardware devices are truly silent, then we'll no longer need um, sound, you know, them to be sound designed in movies and and commercials. And uh, so I think that's that's the main thing is that, is that it feels weird if you see something but don't hear it. And also, there's this idea this this idea that all of um, you know all of that medium, all of cinema through a you know through a lens, is illusory. So you have to always reinforce the illusion. Hmm. So it's not it's not about replicating reality. It's about convincing people that what they're seeing in that box is pretty close to real life. So sound designers take that opportunity to not only reinforce but make better. Um, and it's it's an additive thing. It's not subtractive. There we go, Adam. Uh, I'm going to have you back on the show within the next five years. <laughs> oh good must have done something right then uh everybody <laughs> can check you out your what your twitter handle is now adam it's just Lissigore. my name adam lissagore yeah and of course your excellent company that was instrumental in making me not jump off a cliff uh sandwich <laughs> is at sandwich.co which is Correct. absolutely fabulous um <laughs> And you guys are continuing to do killer work even in this. You guys have figured it out how to do work. Anything you want to promote? Anything new? I know the Slack video was about a month ago. But yeah, yeah. I was maybe getting a, up on two months, but what is yeah. time anymore? Yeah. Um, <laughs> no. yeah. I guess a month ago was my show, and it was definitely out for a month when my show came out. So, yeah, two months. All right. Whatever. Yeah. So I guess that Slack project is on our site. If you if you would – if if to get to know the team and the company a little bit or our culture. We've done a few more of those. We call them lunchbox style remote shoots since this started happening. And then we just did our first like real commercial for a company called Outpay, which I'm very excited about. Um, Outpay is again, they're, they're, they're facilitating um, contactless menu and payment in restaurants for, um, because it's all it's all sorts of dangerous for everybody involved at a restaurant right now if you're just handling everything and um and there's all these regulations and restrictions so that the, so they've been working for a few years on a clever solution um to all this problem and uh the timing was interesting and correct so we we made a commercial for them and what else yeah just uh probably vote vote yeah. in the election and coming up well, vote for sure. And last but not least, uh, you and uh, uh, friends of the show, Merlin Mann and Scott Simpson, have put the band back together for You Look Nice yeah. Today. Yeah. Uh, and that is now, well, hey, you could just look for it in your favorite podcast app. But the website is, 
I forget. Um, I think that we was, it's all at CaliforniaKing.org now. Right. We sort of like we set out to do something new when we got the, we got back together. We started discussing, you know, what could we do? It doesn't have to be the old thing. Let's just get let's just record. So we branded it as, as a new thing that Scott came up with the the name California King, and it was the it was so funny we couldn't disregard it, and uh, and so then we we started recording them, and then we realized, oh, this is you look nice today. This is the same damn thing. So, <laughs> whoops. And anyway, we we started doing them as we started the the one the way we could differentiate was we started shooting them shooting video for them too. So now they're all uh, the episodes are slightly less edited than they used to used to be and they're all on video on youtube so um california king it's it, uh for the kids huge amounts of fun yeah <laughs> huge amounts of fun for me and uh we just we do it weekly now instead of maybe every few we uh, years and uh it's really fun to be a podcaster again yeah well i'm i couldn't be happier that it's back i don't know what i'm happier about do you look nice today california king or uh gary larson bring him back <laughs> but you guys yeah, have more episodes than he has cartoons so uh yeah. i'm gonna i'm gonna give the credit to you yeah well we should do a calendar although now that i think about it uh, the far side has also made uh copious use of cooper black the typeface oh neat yeah huh yeah i wonder if that's what made me think of it is that i'm looking here and i see it california king but uh anyway Right on. Well, this probably, has been a dream. Thank you so much. Probably the most John Grubberian observation <laughs> that anybody, uh, anybody, including me, has ever made. Yeah, we really took Cooper Black and and uh, made it our own. I guess. Um, <laughs> I think that was Merlin's unique innovation when we started. You look nice today. <laughs> All right, Adam. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. Oh, you're the best.